Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We'd get pushed in, interpreters out to us, you know, and we'd run through them. You know, some guys would get out there, man, they just weren't a good fit. You know, what, they, they, why? They, they couldn't, you know, show up on time for patrol. They couldn't wear their gear. They, they'd forget their night vision yeah. goggles. And it's like, man, we don't have time to hold anybody's hands either. You're, you know, about this and you're going to put in the time to be ready or you're out of here. And, and sometimes guys would show up and they'd go on that first patrol with us and they'd get into a gunfight and they're like, I'm out of here. Send Never me. again. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Rom telling me when he got the job being an interpreter, you know, he had to take like a, a basic English test. Like, can this guy actually speak English and translate? And um, he was saying that they, you know, they sent him to the airport to fly down to Marja. Well, he had no idea that he was going to be fighting like we're fighting, <laughs> yeah. you know? So he shows up with us and sees like a bunch of dudes with mohawks and cami pain and dirty and, you know, where there's no showers or toilets or chow halls or we're eating out of bags yeah, yeah. and... You know, but he, you know, he stayed, you know, which says a lot yeah. about him. Absolutely. Yeah, he yeah. stayed. I'm really honored that you guys both are here. And um, to start, maybe you guys could just introduce yourselves and just say where you're from. Okay. And uh, yeah, just let's start with that. Well, I'm Travis Urban. I'm from uh, East Tennessee. Knoxville, okay. uh, God's country, as we like to say. Uh, I ran off and joined the Marine Corps at 18, and that's kind of where my this story kind of starts. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And how about you? Yeah. Uh, I'm Muhammad Idris Hamdar. Uh, originally, I'm from Afghanistan. I was born in Kabul, and like I joined with the Marines uh, between 2010 and 11, and that's what my story just start from there. And 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 where did you guys where where did you guys meet? When did you guys meet? We met in Marja, Afghanistan in 2010. So my platoon was pushed out to Marja to uh, continue clearing operations there. Marja at that time and down in Helmand province was like the last big uh, Taliban stronghold. And uh, you know, we don't have interpreters. We've got, you know, Marines that'll kind of get punched out to go to language schools, but it's, you know, it's, it's such a complex uh, language that they're speaking, Dari and Pashto, it's, there's not a lot known about it. So, you know, our guys can kind of speak words here and there, but we need, you know, better linguists with us. And so uh, the U.S. government will reach out uh, to Afghan locals that are uh, thoroughly, thoroughly vetted to come work with us. And that's where uh, I ran into him. And because so much of what, what, what you're doing over there is, uh, you, you know, in, engaging and trying to gather information, find out who's who and where they're at, right? Like, can you just explain the need 
for interpreters and why that is and that it did yeah. start off like that yeah. and can you just sort of talk about like your kind of history with it from what you saw um well you know the language part is huge because we're out running around with guns and uh, you know, looking for bombs, but you know, there's, there's more information we need. We need to talk to locals and figure out, you know, what are you seeing in the morning times? What are you seeing in afternoon and evening times? And, you know, who's who around this village? And that's where guys like Rom come in and, you know, they can chat these guys up and gain trust and rapport with them. And yeah, so they're a key piece of our operations. Do you remember when you guys first met? Was there anything, what, do you remember your first impressions of each other? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> The first time when I just met uh, my dear brother, you know, I just call him my dear brother. He is more than, than my blood brother, you know. Uh, it was in Marja, a district of uh, Helmand uh, province of Afghanistan. Uh, it was like uh, in the midnight, I just like uh, uh, came from another post to their post uh we just walked like 30 or 45 minutes uh, then we arrived to the post where was my mission started from that day uh, so in the early morning i just met travis and also uh, my other team marines over there it was the first day i met him over there and my mission just started with them from there. Was that the first time you had worked with the Marines or had you already been working with the Marines? It Corps? was the first time. The first time. And yeah. what can you just, I, I mean, the best way you can, I mean, can you kind of like walk me through where that decision comes from? Like what made you want to get to work with them and, and, and you, you know, what was going on in your life in those days? Yeah, actually, before I joined Marine, uh, since I... I just realized it and have experience about my country story, you know. I just planned and decided with myself to be go outside this country and just live in a peaceful area, you know, not in darkness. So just one year ago when I just joined with Marines, I just start like, uh, I have just met one of the, like a captain, He she was uh, my friend as well. She was like uh, working with the U.S. Army uh, in Logar province. And I was on that time working for an uh, NGO. I mean, land government organization on that time. Uh, so I met her over there and it was one of my target to start moving and put the first steps to go to the United States for higher education and for like a peaceful life, not only for myself, for my uh, children future so it was my uh, vision and target how many kids do you have uh i have three three kids yes how old are they uh my oldest just uh she's eight and i have a twins uh -huh. boy and girl yeah they're four and a half that's beautiful crazy yeah. kids yeah crazy yeah. crazy kids, yeah. Kids. i love it yeah <laughs> i love it and 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 like for either one of you guys like can you just uh, i mean i know it's a big question but you know, I, th I think for all of us that, that 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 haven't served and haven't been over there and are just sort of like all our news is is, is filtered in from from various different parties. Can you guys just sort of explain at, at that time you're talking about like 2008, 2009, correct? Like what what what's the state of Afghanistan? Like when when was the first time you were over there? What what what, do you, what, what did you see in Afghanistan? What are the biggest misconceptions? I'd love to hear about growing up there. I'd just like to hear more about it. Uh common miscon i remember the first time that i got there you know that was 2010 i'm young you know i'm like 
20 years old, can't even like, you know, can't even legally drink, you know, but I'm over running around with a gun and, you know, and you're, you're so immature, you know, at that, at that age. I remember before we even got sent to Afghanistan, I knew we were going to Afghanistan and I knew we were going to end up going to a place called Marja and, but I'm so young, I didn't even like look into what Marja even was, right. you know, right. like how easy that would have been for me to get on the old Google yeah. and look up what this place is and what it looks like. But we didn't even, it's like, send us wherever. We don't care. Wherever the fuck you want to send us. Yeah, totally. You know? And we show up over there and, you know, Marja, it's, it's down south. It's like the, you know, agri- agricultural hub in the country. And, uh, I mean, it's just farmland and, and poor people. That's it. You know, you're expecting to see, you know, I guess it was it was hard for you know somebody at my age over there. What are we doing over here fighting in this farmland? surrounded by all these poor people over right, here. Right. Why are there Marines dying, you know, and Army guys dying every day? Like, what are we fighting over right now, you know? And then you know, as the deployment goes on, you know, you start to build relationships in these little cities and villages, and you see these little kids running around, and you know, they have nothing, you know, just absolutely nothing. So. Uh, that was a wild thing for us to see at that age, you know. And when and when and when you engage with the Taliban, like when you when you, when you engage with, you know, the enemy, what what why while you're there, is it? I mean, because you hear about it all the time. Was it easy for you to sort of like decipher who was who, or were you were were you able to get like garner some sort of understanding of yeah. what the people of Marja felt about the Taliban and what that relationship was? Uh, you know, I think from the the people of Marja, you know, from their mindset, from what I've gathered and witnessed, you know, they're just trying to survive. You know, they know that Americans aren't going to be there forever. We know we're not going to be there forever. The Taliban knows we're not going to be there forever. So, you know, the Taliban really, they really pick and choose on when they're going to show their face and when they're going to do an attack. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just a wild, it's a wild place, you know, and it's not like, you know, the Taliban's running around in uniforms that say Taliban. Right. You know, they're blending in with these villagers and you don't know who's who. You know, it's the one day they're, you know, you think this guy's your friend and then later on, you know, you find out that they're giving up information to the Taliban. Right, so I, I, they're, they're spotting us, you know, they're, they're watching us come out of our little patrol bases, which I think a lot of people... You know, they they think military bases and it's these giant bases with jets launching off of them. That's not where we were at. I mean, we were in somebody's house that we took over in the middle of the night and filled sandbags up and made posts in the middle of the night. You know, that's how we're living. You know, we show up into a farmer's compound, throw them some money and say, you got to get out of here. And and there's really no uh, separation from where we're living in the city. I mean, we are in the city. There's no you hear that term. Oh, you leave the wire. You know, like there's no wire, you know. Um, But, you know, as we would come out of our patrol bases, you know, we'd usually run three operations a day, morning, afternoon and night. And uh, we'd have these little uh, devices that could pick up on their radio traffic. And uh, guys like Rom would be listening to these devices and relaying to us, okay, this is what they're saying. This is where they're at. Oh, they're planning an attack here. But you can hear them counting us and calling out where our weapon systems are. Oh, here's a long rifle over here. Here's a machine gunner over here. You know, and it's crazy to hear that. You're like, holy fuck. Like, they're watching us. You know, Mm -hmm. you can't see them, and you don't know who's giving up that information. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a lot of times it's villagers that they'll pay off 
you know. But so it sounds like an environment where like trust is so sort of impossible to kind of like, how people sort of feel about you mm-hmm. seems seems enormously difficult. And you know, you guys refer to each other as brothers. I mean, how does I'm really interested in in how trust is earned, and then what's that environment like? Is it the same for you? Is it the same for folks who who grew up in Marja for 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 for, 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 for the the farmers or the villagers that work there? I mean, it, it, can you just talk about trust in that environment and how it works? Yeah, uh, actually, it was so difficult to make it make them trust us. You know, so difficult for those kind of pupils because the pupils over there they don't have knowledge they were not Ill, like a literate pupil the schools was closed over there and their entire life n- not only for women's for for the male generation as well you know so all of them just grew up with the shovel with the farming nothing else like that i mean the villagers and on that area but it was just ANA, I mean Afghan National Army, and the, beside of them, it was the Marines, you know. We just make trust for them. We just had like make sure, you know, I mean like big meetings every week over there. Like we all just the key called, leaders would come from the village to yeah. sit and talk with us and we'd develop rapport with them like that. Yeah, we just like motivate them for democracy. We just motivate them for having peaceful life and there. We want to make them happy every day than previous at the past. So it was their life and it was that that uh, they trust us. Not 100% but a little more than before. And every day we just getting their trust as much as we can. And meanwhile, you're you're trying to earn the trust of, of uh, did, did you feel like you had the trust of the Marines that you were with right off the bat? Of course. You did feel that. Yes. You did feel exactly. that. Exactly. And, 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 and just tell, tell me a little bit more like kind of just what, whether it's philosophically or like, I, I understand, I, I guess what you were saying is that you had this urge, you knew you were dedicated, you're, you're, you're an educated man, you're a dedicated man to your family, you knew that eventually you wanted to what, you wanted to leave Afghanistan, right? When did that feeling start? You know, was that, was that before the war? Like, you, what, did something change in your life to, to, to make you feel that way? Did, did you always know that you wanted to get out of Afghanistan? Yeah, exactly. Since I was just uh, like uh, seeing my father's life. What was your father's life like? Uh, I mean, just he grew it as human over there, you know. He didn't like had higher education, you know. He didn't have like own independence for himself, for his family, you know, for my grandfather, for my uncles, for my aunts, for all of his family. So when I was just looking at them every time, it was just like making me sad. So I just decided on that time with myself to find a way to go out from here and make a good life. Change this. Did your this father life. want that for you? Did your father want you to have a different yeah, exactly. life? Yeah, exactly. But my grandfather, I mean, they didn't want this for my father, you know? So that's why, because my father was, uh, my father was like educated person. He was working with defense ministry on, from since he just born and joined it with the ar- army, with the military. So he didn't like, uh, has any stop for me to don't go there or here. Just he wants me to grow up in a very peaceful area like this. So on that time, I just decided to start working with the uh, like uh, private uh, companies 
because it was that time the private companies was the way to go to America or go to the Western countries for better life. You know, that's why I just uh, stepped on on this way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you sort of remember your your uh, just sort of like your own personal history with 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 the Taliban and 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 how you sort of felt that 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 the what it's sort of the relationship with kind of like the common the common person in your country with the Taliban and what are the pressures to join and 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 how do most folks feel about them there and and and, and as they came into power. Did something change drastically in the country? And if so, do you remember? Is there any memories of that? Uh, yeah, actually, in the first time when they just got our country, I mean, it was like 1990 or 1992, I think. So this years when they just got and handed over our country, I was a kid. But still, I remember some memories from that time, you know that they were just stoning the people, stoning the women, you know. Stoning. Stoning, yeah. And also they just killed, you know, they just killed the pupils like in front of the eyes of the pupils, you know. They just gathered the pupils. They just announced it in the radio. There was no other television on that time. They just announced in the radio that we have like hanging, you know. How old were you when that happened? Ah, uh, I was like maybe 14. I can say, or maybe 13, but still I remember that, you know, it was big stadium in Kabul, just close by the presidential palace, close by. So it was like crazy time on, on that time, you know, and you ask it, what, what, why they just killed this people, you know, for nothing. They just killed innocent people. And, and. I mean, I hear, I mean, so it was, I'm so please, sorry. please. So it was all that that changed my mind to just evacuate from this country as soon as you can. Even just recently, I mean, in the recent years, I had special life over there. I had my own business, my own company, everything, but I left behind everything because I didn't see any bright future for my children, for my family. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This this brutality and uh, like you say, this sort of like meaningless brutality. Do you remember the first time you either witnessed that or, or you, something that kind of defined them to you, or or, or 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 the first thing that you heard or that you saw over there that 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 showed you kind of that 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 defined the ethos of those people? Um, you know, I think the my first like experience like holy shit we're at war now you know is when you see a guy that you know that you drank beer with and hang out with blown up you know and his body's ripped in half you know and this is a good guy you know or an, another guy that's been shot you know and killed you know you see in your buddies dead you know running them to helicopters you know that's that's like the this is real moment you know and the, just the brutality that you know these the, the Taliban would do, you know, they would, 
go out to these farmland that we're in and, and just plant IEDs everywhere, all over the fields. And, you know, kids would step on them all the time. You know, innocent people would just walk along, you know, and step and step on these devices. Taliban doesn't care. Yeah, they're after us at the end of the day, but they're putting them in the, this, this family's backyard. You know, eventually one of these kids is going to step on this or some guy on a tractor plowing his field is going to, you know, hit this IED. And that's when it's like for real, you know, it's like seeing little kids suffering. You know, I did a little stint after my, my time with the uh, Marine Corps. I got a job with National Geographic and I, I, I went back to Afghanistan and kind of got to see the war from a, from a non, you know, infantryman grunt view, you know, because in the, in the grunts, it's this, this is what you see. You know, you're, you're, you got your mission. This, you don't understand where these helicopters are coming from or where you're sending your wounded off to. You don't, you don't see it at all. Uh, but with the, that job, you know, I got to take a step back and kind of be a spectator in war and kind of see, okay, here's where the fighter pilots are taken off from. Here's the uh, logistics side of the house. Here's the helicopters. And then I did a little time in a frontline hospital. Uh, it was called a shock trauma platoon. And I, we just sat in this tent for, you know, a month, two months, periodically in and out for a month, two months. And man, the casualties just keep coming in, you know, and it's just like, holy shit. I remember I had never like cried, you know, uh, the unit that we were with, we lost 15 guys, mm. you know, 15 guys killed, which is fucking crazy. And so I remember the Purple Heart ceremony after we came back. I mean, there was a hundred people lined up in a formation. There were so many Purple Hearts handed out that they didn't do it like individually, you know, like, okay, this person got shot, this and that. Okay, next guy, we're going to read off. There were so many people that they just did it all at once. Wow. You know, but anyway, so to, to be in this, uh, and I had never shed a tear over it. It really hadn't, you know, lost some really close friends. And when I, you know, a year later, I went back with that Nat Geo job and I'm sitting in this, uh, this tent and the, you know, in come the casualties and here my dumb ass is with a camera running around filming it. Cause I want people to understand what's going on over there, you know, but you really feel like a piece of shit running around filming this dude with a gunshot wound in his forehead, you know, you're just, it's just unreal. But I remember this, there was a Marine that came in and he was on an early morning patrol and uh, he was the radio man and he had a radio antenna sticking out of his uh, backpack. And there's a lot of ungrounded wires over there and this guy's patrolling around and, and his radio wire hit one of these ungrounded wires and it electrocuted him. Mm. And, uh, you know, they, his, his unit, they call in the medevac birds. Uh, they're called dust off great guys. Black Hawks come in, snatch this guy up, bring him back to the little tent that I'm at, you know, filming these casualties and interviewing surgeons and stuff like that. And, uh, in comes this guy and he's back in the day, we'd put the radio mic like in between our Kevlar, you know, we got our helmet and you got the strap. Well, the radio guys would run these, run the hand mic up in here anyway they bring this guy in and this hand mic is melted into his uh. face and i remember watching this dude like nobody knows what's going on over here you know i remember when we were there no one no one really asked questions you know it's like oh you were in afghanistan you know everybody's so desensitized because we've been over there for 20 years you know they were like oh yeah it's just war you know this isn't normal being somewhere for 20 years you know, but yeah, that was that that incident when I I saw that dude 
And all my buddies that I was with the Marine Corps, they'll, they'll make fun of me for telling this story and saying that I cried. But it's it's the truth. I mean, I, I filmed this dude. They tried to resuscitate this guy for 15, 20 minutes. And then finally, everybody in the room agreed they're, they're calling it. And I remember, I, you know, turned the record button off, went outside and cried like a bitch. Mm. Yeah, cried like a bitch. And this old, crusty surgeon came out. He used to be an 8404 corpsman that used to run with the grunts. But now he's kind of leveled up and he's doing bigger and better things. But he came out and he, little tiny guy, came out and put his arm around me and just, I'd never met that dude in my life, but he knew, you know. Where you were at. Yeah. 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 Because when you see, you know, journalists, I was technically a journalist over there at that time. They're like, oh, who's this journalist? They have no idea what's going on. But, and some people ask about my background and, and stuff like that. But, you know, not a lot of people knew that I was a part of that as well the year prior, you know. My unit had lost 15 dudes in that same AO that they're in. But yeah, that was like a, just a unreal, like, I'll, I'll never forget that. So it's like you, you, you both, I, and, and I, I hate to, I hate to stay on it too much, but, but, but I mean, you both are sort of describing this kind of chaotic, wild environment that yeah. just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And this is like, yeah. this is your home. You grew up in it. I mean, for, for, for you, do you remember that when you first sort of had that thought, like, what the hell is going on here? And, yeah. and I'm just really interested in like, why? Maybe your reasons for wanting to sign up, like your reason for for, yeah. for, for wanting to to enlist, and 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 then, you know, um, just kind of your journey through, through 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 then being there, and 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 what you saw and what your feelings are, and 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 your sort of understanding that either grew or your lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think my story with wanting to go over there, kind of, or, or wanting to go the military route, started young with me. I, I was a part of this program called the Breakaway Program, uh, where they'd send like court-ordered kids out to the woods to, you know, get their asses kicked. In you the got in trouble? No, I didn't. I was like a student staff, and my fa- my parents ran with the staff that did. Got it. it. All outdoorsy mountain men type people. Got really, it. really shaped who I am and yep. and my values, and I really saw the benefit of. Uh, going out to a shitty place and living with nothing and having, you know, only having the guys around you. I really saw the benefit of that at a young age and pushing yourself to that at a young age. And, uh, and also, you know, September 11th, you know, I, I, I was never allowed to miss school ever. Like my parents are like, you're going to school. We don't care if you've got COVID, right? <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. going. Yeah. Uh, I come from a big family. There's five kids in my family all together. Yeah. Uh, but on September 11th, my older, uh, sibling or no one of my younger brothers had to go to the doctor so eeny meeny miny mo i'm staying home to watch the youngest so i'm sitting at home on the couch How watching. Old were you? Uh, i was in seventh grade so i think wow. 12 13 years old and i'm sitting on the couch and then uh watching uh sports center you know big baseball guy sure catching up on i'm like this is nice i'm hanging out yeah no yeah. school today yeah, holiday yeah, yeah. And uh, the phone rings and it's my dad and he's like, turn on the TV right now. And I flipped, uh, you know, flip on the news and, uh, you know, like five, six, seven minutes later, we see the, uh, the second plane, second plane yeah. hit the tower. Um, and that was a pivotal moment for me at such a young age. It was like, how dare these motherfuckers? You know, and I had a connection with, you know, I grew up in Tennessee, but, you know, during the summers I'd go, you know, up to New Jersey. My grandparents had a beach house there and uh, like on the ocean on Long Beach Island. And a lot of these people running around there were, you know, uh, firefighters from New York City and NYPD. Sure. And, and sure. So it was like, how, how dare these people do this? But, you know, and it sounds corny and this and that, but I knew at that, at that age, like, this is what I'm doing. And I remember being so fucking pissed 
that I was not young enough to, to, to sign up right then. Like I remember being livid yep. and like counting down the clock, like when I turn 18 years old or when I can sign this contract, I'm going. Yeah, and I remember being afraid I was gonna miss the war. A lot of guys, you know, say that too. You know, it's like, I need to get in the pipeline right away with a rifle in my hand to go see these dudes on the front lines as soon as possible. Do you remember, do you remember where you were? Do you remember where you were with uh, 9-11 or do you remember your first sort of like understanding of it or, or, or did, did it affect your life? Yeah, on that time I was like very young boy, you know, and also we didn't have any access on internet, on television, no television, nothing else. We, we even didn't have like electricity, you know, so, but uh, the older people, I mean, my dad, uncle, and other pupils, they were just hearing the news from BBC, you know, and the radio. And they were talking on that time that like an uh, incident happened to the Trade Center in the New York, in America, that the tourist groups hit that by the Al-Qaeda like this on that time. I was hearing all of this, but I was so kid, I didn't care about it so much, and I didn't have knowledge about that. So yeah, I remember the just short things like that. But you, but 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 in in Afghanistan at the time, you know, w was there a general feeling? I mean, when you're when you know at these big soccer stadiums, there are these huge executions, and there's this group that has taken over, and they're 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 ruling with brutality. And now you know that, you know, somebody somebody came and, and, and poked the bear of America. Now, now, now America is getting involved in some way. Was there a feeling in Af Afghanistan that this could potentially come to us or touch us? Like, would people have any idea of that or, or, or no? Yeah, definitely. Like I said, pupils were just talking about that and had like feeling, you know, for the pupils, you know, why this like happened, what's wrong with that, you know, but since most of the pupils, like you don't, you know, uh, they were not like uh, have the outside, or I can say for you, like a knowledge of exterior countries uh, to know what's happening over there, you know, or what's going on over there. That's why they were not like uh, have like deep feeling what's happening, or they didn't see anything by television, you know, by the TV to see what happened with this pupil, you know? But of course, yeah, they had like feeling and talking about that on that time, yeah. You know, I think seeing over there, these 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 people on the day-to-day, -day, they don't have time for like conversational, like gossip of what's going on. They're right. trying to like feed their kids yeah. in a country yeah. where there's no jobs and trying to scrape, beg, borrow, steal to get their kids fed. You know, like they don't have time to like sit around and right. you know scroll the internet and what's right. going Philosophize. on yeah, yeah, yeah like they're like dude i gotta feed my kids yep. you know and they're just scraping and by all means necessary by right? any means yeah. necessary yeah. they'll yeah. do it and you know i don't fault them from that that's right because what would i do to feed my family and his kids and my loved ones and, and people around my circle i would do anything you know to do it when you first get there, were you, were you able to make any sense of anything? Or like you said, it's just this grunt mentality, just like yeah. follow orders one, uh, one foot in front of the other. I remember we flew in, we were at a big base called Leatherneck and they're like, you know, we, we get our briefs from the medevac units that are gonna be supporting us. Hey guys, this is how you load your 
casualties in. Uh, this is what we're seeing in the area. These are the tactics that they're using. Watch out for IEDs here, watch out from there, there. You know, they're just, they put them in everything from roadkill to the curb, to trees, to above you. You know, they're just, so we're getting schooled up on that. And then they load us on helicopters and we're like, all right, we're gonna go get some right now. And we're gonna go replace a unit that's there. There was a unit called uh, 3rd Battalion, 6th Marines that was there. They did the initial push in there and gain the foothold. And then here we come in to replace him. And then they, they punch out and go home. Uh, but we landed on this, uh, it was a bigger base in Marja. It was called uh, like uh, Hanson, I think, yeah, right? Hansen. Yeah, Hanson. Uh, yeah, Cop Hanson it was called. And then uh, we land and then, you know, it's so loud and chaotic and dust is flying everywhere. And we, we run off the bird and then the bird takes off and then it's like quiet, you don't hear anything. And I remember you could hear gunfights going on outside, you know, because that base we're on was like the big battalion level. That's where our battalion commanders are at. There's like nice little chow halls. They're living it up, you know, in cots and, you know, they got nice stuff. And then we hear these gunfights going on where we're going because we're going to go take over one of these houses. Uh, and, and I remember there was a... a and it's villages like the gunfights are coming from yeah from, it's not mountainous right no I mean, no it's it's, it's straight farmland swampy cotton fields weed opium uh corn watermelon you know agricultural uh stuff uh difficult to operate in um but yeah i remember we were hearing all this going on they're like well, what's going on out there because that's my first you know i'd been to iraq before i went to ramadi uh iraq back in uh 2008 and we spent seven months there just waiting for something to happen and never did. You know, as a grunt, if you're not getting after it, you're like, dude, this sucks. Yeah. And, you know, and your chain of commands fucking with you, yeah. you know, trying to keep you busy and keep you mad, you know. And, <laughs> and I remember wishing for that. Oh, God, I just want this gunfight. Well, fast forward to Afghanistan in 2010. We land on that base. And then what's this gunfight going on? And it's like, oh, you guys are going there. The unit you're replacing, the platoon you're replacing, that's them that's right them. now. That's them, yeah. And if I remember correctly, that was the day that a, a Hilo was shot down. I want to say it was like a uh, a Cobra, I want to say. But don't, don't quote me on it. But there was a Hilo that was shot down out there in our battle space. And in 2010 in the time, you don't hear of helicopter, U.S. American helicopters being shot down. So we're like, what the fuck is this place we're going to? So they load us up and we get a little brief. And then they load us up in a, like a seven ton, it's called. It's a big transport truck for you know people and they they drive us out there and we get off and uh we get to this patrol base right as that uh squad is coming back in from that gunfight and i remember looking at these dudes and yeah. they they look like something straight out of vietnam here we are fresh camis all of our gears good you know we got the civilian weight we're carrying from the states you know we're not patrol ready you know uh but yeah i remember them coming back in and, and they look like they were just you know in a gunfight and they were you know sweaty we're rocking bandanas not blousing their boots cuffing their sleeves we don't care about military regulation and haircuts dudes with mohawks and you're like dude this is awesome like this is where i want to be right now we finally like reach this place yeah. and so they took the uh for the next like two or three days they took the key leaders uh from our platoon that's replacing this platoon so they took like the platoon sergeants uh lieutenant squad leaders and team leaders. And I was a team leader at the time. And they, they took us out on patrol with those guys, kind of like a left seat, right seat with them. And there's no vehicles. Uh, we're all, everything's on foot. Wow. Um, and so we start, they start integrating us into their patrols on how what's going on. And they're giving tips and, you know, don't cross here, cross here, little things to look for. 
and we're just trying to like soak it soak all it in, all in trying yeah. to soak because we know is it is it possible to soak it all in it, i mean what you feel like like how much are you retaining on on that first you know i think you're in a, a survival situation so your brain is on like max overload to yep. try and retain everything yep. but i remember just being like a we call it a fucking gear bomb you know there's like a way to patrol in marja and there's you know, there, there's what the states, you know, patrolling around in North Carolina teaches you. I got to yeah. have all this gear. I got to have all this. I need this. I need water. You know, but when you're patrolling on foot miles and miles, it comes down to weight. You're stripping all sorts of weight, uh, learning how to wear your night vision correctly, learning how to, you know, use your thermal scopes and, and PEC 15s with your lasers on them. And there's there's a there's a massive learning curve that you're sure that you're you're battling. Sure. And you don't want to look like a piece of shit either. You know, it's like you got junior guys looking at you. You right. can't seem like you're iffy about something. It's probably pretty impossible to not be iffy, especially in the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. like you're, you're, yeah, you're making absolutely. it up as you go. I mean, you're drinking out of a fire hose. Right. You know, right. dudes are getting shot. You're hearing about all their dudes that were killed and shot and maimed from IEDs. And, uh, you know, your biggest fear is just letting somebody down behind you yeah. you know not yeah. seeing an ied the dude behind you steps on it or and so it's really that night i mean it's like first night in it's like you're like okay this is this is gonna be different this is this yeah. is this is wild this makes no and do you remember your first sort of exposure to the villagers and like is there any is there any kind of feeling or to, to just the nationals in general is there any yeah. feeling like what do they think of me or yeah. like could because i i guess what you guys both describe is there's and and so many of the folks that that I've had the honor to talk to have just talked about this. One, your every step you take, there could be an IED. Mm -hmm. Plus, any person you see yeah. could be friend or foe, and there's really no way. It's very very hard to figure that out. Yeah. So sure. I imagine that's just an environment yeah. of just complete and utter chaos. Yeah. And again, such a where we're eventually going to get to such a difficult environment to achieve. You, you know, real trust and real camaraderie with, mm -hmm. with, 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 with people that were born in different places. Yeah. You know, I'd never had any exposure to really the outside of the U.S. before. I'd, I don't think I'd ever talked to somebody from another country other than a, a woman that my mom uh, would go get her nails done at this little Vietnamese shop. And my mom helped this lady study for, you know, her uh, citizenship test. And I think that was my only. Wow. If I remember correctly, that was like the only exposure I'd, I'd had trying to communicate with somebody who didn't speak English right out of the gate. Wow. Uh, but yeah, so we, we roll in there and I think my first exposure to an Afghan is the uh, Afghan army that we're kind of paired up with. They got they sent a couple Afghan army squads to patrol around with our squads because we're trying to teach them what's going on here and this is how you, you know, take care of your country. This is how you gain security in your country. Do what we do. So communicating with them and teaching them our tactics and which was, man, was difficult. And it was a hell of a thing to ask looking back at it for a bunch of 19, 20, 21 year old kids to do. You know, that's kind of a Green Beret Special Forces thing. You know, those Green Berets get in and they uh, create networks and they know how to talk to people and befriend people. And, they, you know, that's the whole Green Beret mission, right. you know, other than going out smoke checking dudes. Right. Their right. mission is to go in there and make friends somewhere. Right. Well, asking a grunt unit to go do that, it's like I mean, it's with like no training whatsoever. Which, plus, you're not, I mean, like making friends is not right. this Right, yeah, the that's idea. like yeah. the time for talking's over. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but yeah, we would like teach these guys, okay, this is how you wear your gear. This is how you make a little brief, a little pre-mission brief. When we go on patrol, you're going to go left. We're going to go right. Uh, we're going, when we hit this, you know, building up here, we're, we'll button hook right and we'll link up with you guys over, you know, there's a lot of complex stuff. 
and you're worried about, you always should know where your people are out on patrol because everybody's running around with guns. I don't want to end up shooting my guys over sure. here, getting spooked because everybody's trigger happy. Sure. You know, right. everybody's ready to pull the trigger, you know, because, you know, in, in war, there's a clear hold and build phase. Can you, t- can you explain that? Uh, I mean, I think, don't quote me on this, but I, I don't remember what, you know, army or, or military genius figured this out. There's a clear hold and build phase. Well, a clear phase is the enemy's still here and operating freely. We need to clear this whole place out. And then we're going to hold it, make sure everything's good to go. And then we're going to start to rebuild. Right. We're going to start to rebuild schools, hospitals, roads, all of this. Well, we're still in the clear phase. Right, right. You know, so. But yeah, I remember, you know, linking up with these Afghan army guys and we'd create these little terrain models as best as we could. Like, okay, you guys are going to go this way. We're going to go this way. And I remember... I don't know, it was probably our 10th patrol with them. We, we punched out, and we've got nicknames for all these Afghan army guys. I remember this Afghan army guy we called Love Seat, like you would sit on, you know, for whatever reason. We called him Love Seat, and he had an M249 saw, which is like a squad automatic yeah. weapon. And we punch out, and man, we're not 10 minutes outside of the gate, <laughs> and this dude is just unloading on us. Yeah, just and we we hit the dirt like what the fuck is you, you knew it was him. Oh yeah, yeah, because I know where they're at. Yeah, you know yeah, I'm yeah, watching yeah, yeah, them. Yeah. You know, oh, but shit. you know you're just trying to get these guys on the same page as you. Yeah, yeah, but that would happen like all the time. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah and, and 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 from your perspective, uh, how did everybody take sort of your decision to work with the Americans? Was there any resistance to that? Were people supportive of it in your life? Uh, <clears throat> actually. My family, especially my dad and my mom was with me in the first. But uh, after just, I just was six months in the mission. They just heard, you know, on TV as well at the same time in the newspaper, everything's in the media. The interpreters were killing every day in the mission. Yeah. Every single day. A lot of interpreters were Like this, you know. So my dad, my mom was so worried and yeah. has concern on this, you know. So when I just, uh, actually the interpreters over there in the post on the mission didn't have access on the phone to talk with their family because we didn't have access on this, you know. There was no antenna, I mean signal, to talk with your family. But I have access but by the helps of my Marines, you know, with the satellite. I just talk with my family via that and my just my dad just told me, please, please come back. Hmm. Please come back. Hmm. Stop hmm. this like this. But I didn't give up, you know, myself. So even my first unit, I mean, Travis and with other people just left over there. I was over there. I just continue my mission just for more than three more months. Then I just received my paperwork and came back home for a holiday to process all this paperwork get to the u.s like this you know when i just get back to home so my dad my mom just stopped me and just cried please if you're like my our son please don't go back to the mission Mm. you will you would be killed interpreters were being sought out it was especially dangerous to be an interpreter you know on patrol interpreters are getting killed because they're out walking around in the same minefields we are they're in the same gunfights we are so they're definitely a part of those casualty counts but also when they would go back to visit their family or go back on vacation you know there there's in, an entire al-qaeda and taliban intelligence cells out looking for the, these people you know i think a common misconception about the taliban and al-qaeda they're just a bunch of dudes living in caves 
they're not really up to date on technology. Man, they they evolve. They've evolved over the past twenty years, and they're, you know, they're, they're they they know what they're doing. They know how to find these people, and you never know who's secure with information because you know his information is sitting at an embassy or, or, or office somewhere that's supporting government operations. Well, who's to say that a Taliban dude isn't working in there? They can now give up that information for the right price, and now they know, you know, where his Homer record is and right. family that's real. And stuff like that's that. Fuck, yeah. And, and it's and, real to this day. And and did that make you worry that that you were potentially putting your your mom and dad's life in danger? That that they absolutely, could, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That's why I just <clears throat> didn't go back to mission, but I just I just start searching another job. I just start working on the, after that with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, you know, in the Kabul, in the city, with a private construction company who was just working on behalf of that uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. We were just building, make the HQ, I mean, headquarters for the Afghan National Police, ANP, and also Afghan National Army like this. So, but I just uh, continue, keep going my working and my task only just alongside with the U.S., you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Whole my life, yeah. <laughs> I remember we'd get pushed, yeah. we'd get pushed in, interpreters out to us, you know, and we'd run through them, you know, some guys would get out there, man, they just weren't a good fit. You know, what, they, they, what, why? They, they couldn't, you know, show up on time for patrol. They couldn't wear their gear. They, they'd forget their night vision yeah. goggles. And it's like, man, we don't have time to hold anybody's hands either. You're, you know, about this and you're going to put in the time to be ready or you're out of here. And sometimes guys would show up and they'd go on that first patrol with us and they'd get into a gunfight and they're like, I'm out of here. Send Never again. Yeah, yeah. I remember Rom telling me when he got the job being an interpreter, you know, he had to take like a, a basic English test. Like, can this guy actually speak English and translate? And um, he was saying that they, you know, they sent him to the airport to fly down to Marja. Well, he had no idea that he was going to be fighting like we're fighting, <laughs> yeah. you know? So he shows up with us and sees like a bunch of dudes with mohawks and cami paint and dirty and you know where there's no showers or toilets or chow halls or we're eating out of bags yeah, yeah. and you know but he you know he stayed you know which says a lot yeah. about him absolutely yeah he yeah. stayed it was really difficult for me you know like for a middle city boy just move out for us from his home city you know kid. we we can say for this like milk boy you know <laughs> milk boy <laughs> yeah so just move from his home yeah Live, uh, left behind his family. Yeah, just go to war. You know, yeah. war. Yeah, yeah. Wear, wear gear, see the rifle. Just uh, see himself in the middle of the gunfight fields. You know, gunfight. It was difficult for me. I bet. But as Travis said, I just stayed. Yeah. 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 He made a name for himself. Did you recognize how special? he was and did that brotherhood begin because you saw how difficult it was for him in the beginning and that he didn't and then yeah. the, was it the choice to stay and come back and not run you know i don't think that you know at that age and with all of that going on your brain doesn't really process what's going on you don't get to pick who you're with you don't get to pick who your machine gunner is the marine corps decides everything That's for right. you everything you know you just you're just so used to saying all right roger we're gonna roll go. with it yeah uh but, you know, once I, you know, started to get the, you know, like, as I said, I got the job with National Geographic and, and really got to step back and see this war from a, you know, a different perspective. You know, you, you really start to reflect on the relationships that you made and like, uh, 
yeah, I mean, this guy stuck it out with it. He was one of us. You know, he was in, in all the gunfights we were in. He, he, he was promised by the government to, hey, man, you stick your time out with us. We're going to get you out of this country. This is the deal. And, and once I realized that, you know, that wasn't happening for him, that really weighed on me for a long time. And I realized that was happening in like 2012 time frame. And I remember a, a time with him where I, I felt like I turned my back on him. Uh, when I got that job with National Geographic, I went down my contact list, uh, you know, on Facebook. And, 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 uh, and I remember scrolling across his name. We'd been in communication and I deleted him off Facebook, you know, because it was like, what if I get rolled up here by the Taliban out here? Because I'm, now I'm a civilian over there. Right. I don't have the protection of a squad of dudes around me. Right. So if I get rolled up on, they take my phone and then they start looking through my continent. Okay, who, who's he friends with? I'm friends with this dude. Now they can come after him. But, you know, I, I did it for his own protection, but still, you know, it's something that I never, you know, forgive myself for, huh. you know. Huh. And, and, I, and I always waited over the years, man, and just would stay up at night thinking about it. Since 2010 to 2021, when he, when he finally made it over here, like waiting for an opportunity to make it happen for him. And, and, and were you guys, how, how did you guys communicate during that time? Uh, once I wrapped that job with Nat Geo, I, you know, added him back on Facebook and we talked and strategized and he would send me paperwork and ask questions. And, you know, we would, we're just two idiots trying to figure out how to navigate this immigration system sure. that's a part of America right now. Sure. You know, we, we don't have the word grunts. You know, it's like, I don't know, right. I'm not a lawyer. Right. You know, it's extremely difficult and backed up. And, you know, also I was you know, working with the government, uh, doing private security work with the government. I, I can't be friends with, you know, uh, people that aren't Americans, you know, right. you can, but it, man, it'll, it'll give you some trouble when it comes to get like, you know, time for security clearances and stuff and like that. Um, but yeah, that always weighed heavily on me that, man, there's something that I could be doing more. I'm ignoring this guy. Like, um, but in my brain, like I swear in my head, like I always knew that we would get something. It, it's going to happen. It's going to get done. You know, we just need that just a little sliver of opportunity and we're going to take it. Did, did you develop a, a hatred for, for Al Qaeda? Did you, did you develop a hatred for the Taliban? hundred percent. How common is that in your country? Do most people feel that way? Most of them. Yes. Majority of people have the same feeling, the hits from them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I can tell for you, like since I born, I was born over there and I just grow up and I just like, knew my right my left hands i just had like a diff difficult life over there i was so interested to have like higher education but i couldn't because of economic situation over there at the same time because of this politician system which is running on that country since the beginning until now you know but i was trying myself you know to be educated person I'm I'm still not educated person, but I just tried my best, you know. On that time, I my dad was like very. We have like a very poor uh, life, you know. We were rented a house on that time. The computer was like n n there was no computer actually commonly in the homes. I mean, private computers. No people had that one. All of the people just going to this special co uh, courses, private courses, private schools to learn computers like this. So I start, uh, I, I even didn't have money to go to learn computer, you know, in private schools. So uh, my dad just like borrowed money, you know, 
borrowed money for me to just go and learn this since you like this, you know. When I just came back home, I didn't have any computer at home. So I just draw, you know, I just draw with the charcoal, you mm. know, the keyboard. Wow. The keyboard of a computer just like uh, close by the mirror of the, uh, I mean, to close by window, you know. Just I draw draw up by the charcoal and I just learn the typing from that. I just I just uh, like uh, imagine that uh, the the mirror the window in front of me is like a screen of computer wow. and the keyboard just under my hands, which I draw it by the charcoal is the real computer. Wow, you can type better computer. than me now. <laughs> wow. So I learned the computer by this way, wow. you know. Wow. So that's why that's why this made me this made me to make a decision to take out your children to other country or take out yourself to other country to be have not like this. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think when the West came into Afghanistan and you know, there's a common misconception that it was just Americans there. I mean, all of like NATO is there. You know, they don't they're they're not involved fully like we are, but yeah. they're there. You know, so with the West coming, technology's coming and, and it's advancing and, you know, computers, there's starting to be more computers, internet service, cell phones, smartphones. And I think the Afghan people, they start to see what's, what's going on outside these borders and they're seeing the rest of the, the world. And I think for a lot of them, guys like Ron, like, oh, it doesn't have to be like, like we're this. living here. Yeah. We're like, the only, you know, there's very few countries living like we are right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and if you look at, you know, what the Taliban, the Taliban doesn't want Internet and they don't want their people to see yeah. the outside world. They, they don't want them to have a taste of it, you know, because then that'll start, you know, causing that little flame in somebody. Do you guys have any insight or opinions on what's driving them? I mean, besides, I mean, I think the misconception for a layman like me is it's just it's all this yeah. sort of like fanatical. Yeah, I know, think kinda... it's just their interpretation of the Quran. Ram, you could probably speak on uh, better on it than me. Just like the, just like the Bible that Christians look at. You know, there's so many different interpretations of, of it. It's just that their interpretation of the Quran happens to be, you know, some pretty uh, wild extremist views. You know, they are against Quran. You know, they are against that because in Quran it's not saying like that's what they are doing right now. You know, they put all the pupils in the cage. You know, they are just want their own power running the country and doing everything for themselves and also they do some activities that not a human being do that you know not i mean not only quran not a human wants to do that they are not a human they don't deserve to say they are a human they are wild animals mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah anybody that'll weaponize a child and load a child up with explosives and tell them to go into this building and blow themselves up. I mean, what kind of psychopath do you have to be, you know? And I think that, you know, it, it, convincing people to, to do that comes from not being educated and being able to manipulate these people in the name of God. Sure. You know, they, they, yeah. they, weapon, they, they weaponize it. They just use it. this. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Like a business for yeah. them, their own targets. Sure. When we ultimately withdrew and how, how, how did you feel about it? How did that sit with you? And, and um, you know, what, just what's your take on that? Um, I mean, it was just, we knew we're not going to stay there forever. You know, we, we, we can't just take over this country. So we know we're going to leave. Um, but, you know, after you spend 20 years in a country, thousands of our dudes die. Men and women are dying. 
you you would think that the I don't know the uh, result would have been better than what it was. Um, you know, like for instance, when I was in when we were in Marja and we were in another place called Sangin, you know, where I mean, just hundreds of Marines and you know Army dudes died there. But I remember going back here. I am again referencing this Nat Geo job, but went back with Nat Geo and I got to see these same battle spaces that we were in. We were patrolling. Well, now I'm back as a civilian, and we get to see these places. And and they're and it's in Taliban control. You know, like a year later, mm. two years later. What do we? Why? What was all that worth if we're just willing to leave? You know, because they. It goes back to that clear hold build phase. Well, we did the clear phase. Where was the hold and build? You know, where, where was that? If that was your great idea, where was that? And why was that worth sacrificing a bunch of 19, 20 year old kids? Because that's who's dying. Make no mistake. You know, it, it is a bunch of kids over there dying. Why wasn't that held? I think that we set up the Afghan army. Um, now, they, they could have done a thousand things better, no doubt. But, you know, we kept the, the, the war going on the American side through massive air bases that are over there. You know, you got Camp Leatherneck, Bastion, uh, Kandahar Airfield, uh, JBAD, uh, you know, up in Kabul. There's bases everywhere that are running aircraft out to places like Marjan saying and to resupply us, you know, with, you know, beans, bullets, band-aids. Um, when we left, you know, the, the Afghan army didn't have that ability to resupply right. themselves. Right. And the whole time we're over there telling the Afghans, look, this is how you do it. This is how you patrol. This is how you, and it's like, okay, but how do you resupply? And that's something, in my opinion, was never really focused on with the Afghans. You know, they can't resupply themselves. They're out here in these remote patrol bases. The closest person's 50 miles away. You know, they're getting overrun. And they did all the time. Those patrol bases that we handed over to those Afghans were overrun all the time. You know, they'd either run out of rounds or, you know, take five rounds with them and take their uniforms off and leave, you know, but we set them up uh, for, uh, I'm not going to say we set them up for failure, but they can't resupply themselves. So how are they going to survive? Yeah, once they left or, or, or once you went to the Corps of Engineers, are you worried for your safety every day? Exactly. Yeah. And, and what's that like? I mean, like how, how many people in your life know, I mean, how, how common was it that you know ex-interpreters were being hunted down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I can tell you there are there are right now you know you can search in Google. There are a lot of interpreters killed since American left over there. I mean, not in this last two years, even on that time you know in the previous government you know they just have access, especially outside when you just walked outside of the Kabul you know from the capital. They had the Taliban were present on that time, you know, when they just captured the pupils. They have specially, I mean, the biometric system with their self. They just put it your fingers on that, and all of your data will just appear for them, mm -hmm. and they just know, recognize you that this guy worked for the Americans as interpreter. Not only interpreters, also they just killed many. Like I can tell you, thousands of NA. I mean, Afghan National Army the same time. Yeah, we'll just line them up and execute. Yeah, because uh, interpreters and Afghan National Army had biometric, you know. Can you explain that? What, what, what's the biometric? It's a kind of like a, uh, eyes, eyes uh, yeah, screening scan your and retinas. also the fingers, you know. So when you when they just put your fingers on their machines, 
small machines and also your eyes it's just appeared that this guy is working with the government or alongside with the u.s army so in this reason i yes i had concern every day i was suffer for this so if this happened for me what should my children do yeah there's a vetting process that takes place when guys like rom come to work with us in afghan army you know i'm gonna make you look at me and i'm gonna take a picture you're this crazy science fiction machine that takes pictures of your retina and your fingerprints well eventually where's that information going to end up you know for instance like the, when the country collapsed where did all that go yeah well it goes into the hands of the new regime they have everything from helicopters to guns to night vision to all of our allies information wow yeah. and that's how it's being that's how these guys are being hunted did that hit you immediately like that 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 that, that he was in danger yeah, I mean, I, I knew it since we left there in 2010 and uh, or 2011 when we left, you know, like I am, we, we all kind of anticipated that eventually it would end badly, but never to the uh, extent that it did. Never did I think that we would leave guys like Rom over there. You know, I, I would at least think we would like expedite their uh, immigration process to get them out. You know, I mean, shit, they were on the front lines with us, right? you know, so... Never did I ever expect that it would go down like it did. And I don't know how familiar you are. Yeah, would love, the, well, I mean, I'd love for you yeah. to walk me through it. Um, but just the, you know, there was a basically a meeting between the U.S. and I'm paraphrasing here, but there's a meeting that takes place between the U.S. government uh, and the Taliban saying, OK, we're out of here. Yep. We want you to give us a little bit of time, but we're going to get out of here. And the Taliban's very firm on you guys are going to be out by this date. You know, and, and now it's public. Okay, Americans are out. It's hitting the news. Everybody, you know, news channels are pouring into the country to try and because the Taliban's coming, you know. And before they took over Kabul, I mean, you know, the Taliban, you know, Afghanistan looks like this. They're taking over cities and provinces and they're coming in and they're going to close on the capital, Kabul. And then, and, you know, Afghanistan's going to be the Taliban's again. But, you know, from a strategic standpoint, and I'm no general, right? But why would you take away the giant air bases? that were the spine of the war for America, right. you know, Jabad, Kandahar, Leatherneck, Bastion, go down the line of these giant air bases that kept us afloat for 20 years. Uh, why would you take those away in the middle of an evacuation? You know, you know, I think a, a lot of times with the cluster fuck that the evacuation was, you know, you, you hear the politicians say, oh, well, we evacuated 100,000 people. You know, 100,000, that's the largest air evacuation in the history of uh, probably the world. And it's like, well, if you were willing to evacuate 100,000 people like that right. without vetting these people really and figuring out who they are, you know, why didn't you do that for the past 20 years? Right, right. What, why did you have to bring it down to like it was? Like the, 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 yeah. the, the, the why. Yeah. 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 I mean, the amount of people, specifically kids, that were killed outside that airport in Kabul was, is, is unfathomable. You know, and, and U.S. military, you know, 13 U.S. service members got killed by a suicide attack. In, in my opinion, keep these bases around and then, OK, you, you're going to evac people. OK, cool. Roger that. You guys, you know, drug your feet on it. But all right, maybe start flying them to these other bases where we've got a great standoff where we're not going to get hit with uh, rockets and gunfire. Where you look at the airport in Kabul, the Taliban are literally holding hands with Marines, basically. Not mm -hmm. actually holding hands, but I mean, they're from here to you. Yeah. We've been fighting these guys for 20 years, and I'm watching on TV, there's a 19-year-old kid with an M4 standing right next to a Taliban dude. And you're like, what yeah. is going on here right, right. now? Yeah. What is happening? Yeah, so it was a cluster fuck. 
And, and what was that time like from your perspective? I mean, is it you, you just do whatever you can to get out? Uh, actually, I wasn't in Kabul on that time when the country fell back into the hands of them. I mean, Taliban. I was in Istanbul for a business trip. Wow. At the same time, I was trying to gain a visa for my family. I mean, before collapse the country, I was tried four times for my family to get a visa, Turkey visa, to move them to that country to live over there. And where was your family? In Kabul. Kabul. Yeah, yeah, in Kabul. So I was in Istanbul when the country just collapsed and my family just stopped. I was overwhelmed on that time. It was like heartbreaking for me. So uh, Yeah, imagine your family being in a country that was just taken over by the Taliban. You're in another country. It was like killing me, you know. Each seconds was like passing for me like two one ear and, and what's communication like i mean are you, you you're talking to them on the phone like how yeah, yeah exactly but are you yeah, worried WhatsApp, about yeah whatsapp on through that whatsapp time. okay yeah, WhatsApp. and the first days when they just came and had take over the country the internet was working but just after five or four days later they just stopped and just decreased the internet access for the pupils because the pupils just like broadcast in the media what they do with the pupils, you know, in the first days when they arrived over there, they just killed thousands of people, thousands, you know, all the a pupils, all the interpreters, all the pupils who just uh, like against them in these past 20 years. Mm. So I was in Istanbul and this, ha this incident happened. I, I didn't know what should I do in this time. I have no idea except just I texted to Travis on that time. Yeah. I just texted him like, hey, dear brother, please help me. Yeah, it was a wild time. Hmm. Yeah, so I just told him to please help my family get out of that hell so I you know received that message from him on Facebook you know messenger I get a message from him because we're friends again on Facebook and I'm in San Francisco at the time. I'm in the Bay Area for work, and I'm sitting around. And, um, you know, of course, I'm watching all of this on the news, and I, I know he's going to reach out to me, and, and boom, the message comes across. And, and, I, and I'm watching the news, and, you know, everybody that I work with is former military guys in the protection field, and we're all just sitting around, you know, drinking beer, like, man, can you believe what's going on here right now? And, it, you know, I remember watching the news and watching them at the airport, recognizing places there in Kabul and, and, and seeing the Taliban and kind of doing our own little intel gathering through sources on the Internet, people we have on the ground. And I use Snapchat a lot. I know that sounds like a, something like a 12 year old would use. But, you know, on Snapchat, you can get on these uh, heat maps where you can, people can post live to like where they're at. And it's a great source of information and i remember for 10 years or five ten years i'm on snapchat popping over into Kabul and looking okay i don't see any taliban anywhere they're, they're not and then when that happened i remember popping on the snapchat to kind of get a live view of what's what's outside the airport 
you know, the Taliban's in hiding for 20 years. They don't want to be known right. and seen. Right. But once they took over and they're taking over these provinces and they're, they make their way into Kabul. All of a sudden they're now out Now they're the not open. scared anymore. Right. They don't have to hide anymore. And so I remember hopping on those heat maps and seeing them everywhere. Wow. Out, and it was like, holy fuck. Yeah. And what are the conversations? I mean, like with you and your wife, I mean, what is... What what are you yeah. what are you saying to her and I, and it, it, what what are those conversations like? Yeah, I gonna just explain you. After I just received a positive response from Travis, he was in uh, his job. You know, he he was Travis was not at home. He just told me that right now I just fly, and just like he quit. You know, he just quit his job, not for one day, one week, one month, just for more than one year, just f for my family. So I, I just transferred the same thing what Travis told me for my wife. So for a woman, for Afghan woman, it was difficult to trust, especially on that situation, you know. She just told me you're you crazy and your brother that you're calling his, him brother, you're crazy. You both are outside this country and you don't know the situation, what's happening. And my kids... My wife was so scary. They were so worried. They were just waiting for killing, you know, Ugh. every second that somebody will can knock the door and kill us. And, and what were they doing? Were they, and, what, and what is her day to day then? I mean, is she is she in hiding? Is she what is yeah. she doing? Yeah. Yeah. I tell you right now. And the first day just came here. They were in my father's home, which was at the east part of Kabul. It's called Karte now. They were just over there in my own home. The home that I built it with my own hands, you know, they were over there. But I just told them, please go away from there. Since I received the message from Travis, I told them my father-in-law home. It was so close with the airport. That's why I just evac. I just told them to relocate, move from that location to other location to your father's home. I told her this. So she just started moving from my father's home to her father's home, which was close by the airport. And uh, I was just telling the same thing what Travis told for me. We, I just told him, told her to get ready uh, just uh, for moving to the airport. And the first day just like uh, felt in their first attempt to get to the airport. We tried so much and uh, 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 like you asked it about the how you conversation how was your conversation the internet was not working at all inside uh, i mean around the airport there were around so many the people airports. crammed into there actually not only because of the people you know the americans uh you know mo mo uh i just forgot that moa or the that's kind such kind of uh machines the americans just turn it on the signal the internet was not working around the airport it was a big problem over there. At the same time, I think the t Taliban also just like uh, limited the internet access for the people. So I just, I was like calling. I just made a connection with my sister-in-law, which was at home. And uh, she was just calling to my wife on direct line, on direct phone. Then she was calling, it, she was like passing all the conversation of me to my wife, then from my wife to wow. me. Then I just called, like transferred all the conversation to Travis at the same time. It was 
like unbelievable, you know, wow. difficult situation. And so they just felt in their first attempt to uh, enter the airport, it was like a huge chaos, you know, around the airport. Like I can tell you more than 100 or 200, 300,000 people gathered yeah. in a very small yeah. space. Yeah, on concrete too, you know, cause yeah. you got concrete bottoms and then you got concrete walls, they're called T-walls. You know, it's already hot there, it's August. So you can imagine the heat that's created. They're like little human ovens. And the idea know? is what? Like you gather by the airport. Yeah, you just wait by the airport and everybody's got whatever documents they have, who, however they're associated with Americans, like get us out. And and, and who's deciphering who gets out or not? I mean, how, how you're just you? waiting on paperwork from the State Department. You know, everybody's yeah. applying for SIVs and P2s. They're called uh, online. And, and, you know, during this time when he when he contacts me, I'm in San Francisco. Yeah, I'm fucking pissed off. You know, it's like, I cannot believe that my guy's family is still there after all of this time. You know, and the been, sacrifice he's made. We've been trying, I mean, you know, he, he won't say it, but you know, he, he was there with us through everything. He, when we, my unit ripped out and left, he stayed with the other Marine unit, was blown up with them, yeah. you know, was knocked out with them. You know, this guy has put his time in and here I am sitting in a hotel in San Francisco, safe, my family's safe, everything's good, you know. It's just an experience for me. You know, I went to the war. It's just, you know, this is his life, you know. But, yeah, he reached out to me, and then, you know, I kind of talked to a couple close people in my circle, and most of them were like, dude, there's nothing you can do. Hmm. Like, you just got to let this go. And from the outside, you know, now that I've talked to those people now, they were like, yeah, dude, you, you looked rough because I was up. You know, like, I was awake. I'm such a schemer at heart, you know. Like, we're going to make something happen, you know. And, yeah, he contacted me and then i was like reached out to buddies on my team and a lot of them were like dude there's nothing you can do let it go and then i got one close friend was like dude there's something we can do here and uh you know i called my boss i said i'm out of here you know this is what's going on fire me i quit whatever happens i don't care i'm out of here flew back home to tennessee and then pulled out my computer you know i had two computers uh and my you know two cell phones running at a time just trying to gather intel of what's going on here, trying to tap into whatever networks. Okay, who do I know that's there right now? Because I've seen it from the military side. I've seen it from the media side. I've seen it from the uh, private security contracting side. You know, I've got contacts there. I just have to go down my Rolodex and find out who's there and see and see who can help us. Yeah. And, th and that was the whole goal for like, uh, for the next basically, you know, two weeks. I was trying to find people there that were able, you know, we'd find people and they're like, dude, there's nothing we can do. It's, it's a mess. I mean, it's, it's a fucking a, mess. Yeah, yeah, Everybody yeah. that has a contact over here is, a do, is doing exactly what you're doing right, right now. Right, right. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I'm pulling up maps on computers and, you know, during that time, there's like underground groups being created of just guys like me, former military dudes that have contacts over there that we're trying to get these people out. And so th these groups are being created and you're slipping into them and these group threads and you're finding information on that and solid Intel, some shitty Intel, and you're taking what inf whatever information's there, uh, you know, finding out where all the Taliban checkpoints are and plotting them on our maps and then developing a plan how we're gonna get his family to the airport. But you know, the hardest part was finding somebody to be able to snatch them you know, out of a gate where there's a hundred thousand people right get there. them on a plane and to like, get them on yeah. a plane. Yeah. So I started tapping into my network of, uh, 
you know, just who do I know out there? And I, and I reached out to a, a guy that I had protected uh, in the Middle East. And uh, he's kind of a big wig now. And I, you know, you don't reach out to people you protect and ask for favors. It's just you're crossing a line, you know. But, you know, at that point, I was like, I don't care who it is. I'm going to ask. So I hit this, and we're, we're, we were friends on uh, social media, and I hit him up, and boom, he got right back to me. Which is not, you know, you don't see that uh, in, in government-type people. You know, it just, they're not as helpful as you would want them to be. But, man, I, I reached out to this dude. He got back to me and said, one of, my contact is, one of my contacts is in route there right now. This is his name. He'll be on ground in like 10 hours, and we're going to try and make something happen. So it was like that gave us like a glimmer uh, of hope. And so I told him what was going on, and then that's when, when we started to develop the plan, and I was showing him maps, you know, here's the overhead of the airport. There's like, I don't know, probably 10 different gates that people are coming through. You know, the Brits are helping out, the Canadians are over there, the U.S., uh, all of our allies are, you know, trying to get their allies sure. out as well. So we started to develop that plan and, and just try and be patient. Uh, and, and all while this is happening, we know an attack's coming. Anybody who's got a brain or any sort of like tactical sense know that there's going to be an attack that happens here. So you're fighting the clock. You know, look how close it packed everybody is. Look how and, close and, they are to the military. And they know they know you've got Americans and other Allied forces there. You've Absolutely. got ex interpreters yeah. and yeah. families of Absolutely. like everyone there is got yeah. it. Everybody that's at the airport is trying to leave Afghanistan. So they're all the enemy to the Taliban. And that ticking clock for everybody at the airport is very much real. Very if much. If you don't exactly. make it out, you are going yep, to be. You're left yep. behind. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So all, you know, while that's going on, we're trying to develop plan. And at one point I'm watching the news, you know, I'm watching the news. Some uh, reporters doing a piece to the camera there. And I look in the back. I'm like, that's my, I know this dude back there. And wow. he, he's on a gig over there with this person. Wow. And I reach out to him and uh, he's like doing a, or the lady that he's with is doing a live piece to the camera. And I'm like, holy shit, that's the dude, that's him. You know, I'm not going to say his name, but he, so I like pull up my phone and I send him a message. Like I'm watching you right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like a glimmer of hope, you know, like somebody's there that I know what's this look like out here right yeah, now? Yeah. You know, what's going on? Do you see a good avenue? What's, what, what's the best gate we could send this family to? And, um, but yeah, it was like a glimmer of hope. And I reach out and text this guy and then there's like a delay, you know, there's like a 10, 15 second delay because they're on the other side of the world. And I, sure enough, I see him like take Shut his phone up. out. Yeah. And he, he's texting me back and I'm in my hotel room, probably butt naked, Holy you know, like shit. jumping on my bed, like, yeah, dude, here yeah, we go, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. And then once, once that happened, I, that's when I told my boss and, you know, my team, I was like, I'm out of here. I'm going back to Tennessee. We're going to make something happen. You know, and I hopped on a flight, went back to Tennessee and set up the little, I call it the redneck Jason Bourne operation, you know? <laughs> yeah. And like, we're going to make something happen right here. And so I got the computers and everything set up. And, you know, by the time I got home, that, that contact had landed on ground from the guy that I protected, his friend, it was on ground. And I already had messages like in the chamber for him to receive as soon as he lands. Hey, I'm a friend of so-and-so. He's pointed me in your direction. What can you do? You know, and he responded back with, you know, I just got here. Give me a couple hours. We'll assess the situation and what's going on. Um, and we'll we'll go from there. So, you know, be on standby. Be, be ready to move. And at this point, I mean, like when you're breaking this story down to somebody new, it's like 
at this point, I mean, you're, you're communicating mostly through, through message, right? Yeah. It's not voice. Yeah. Through, everything's text. You, you're, yeah. you're, I mean, you're, you're making these appeals. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know exactly what to write. What are you writing? I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to leave any fat on what I'm writing. Right. Right. These right. people that are there don't have time. Don't to have like, time for that. No, here's what's going on. But they on. need to know this is tremendously important. They yeah. need to know the sacrifice. Yeah. This that is, he's this made is for the guy. Country. Here's my connection with him. Here's his family. This is what they look They're like. They're there right now. Can yeah. you help? Great. If you can't help, yeah. I don't care if you're the president of the United States. Yeah. I don't want to fucking talk. I don't, yeah, yeah. I next. don't have time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. we are on, you know, the, the clock urgency is ticking is right now. Just... It's unreal. And and when you when when you're getting this information and then you're communicating back because you have no line to right. his family. And I don't speak the language. Right. Is there a risk every time you're communicating with your family? Is there is there a risk? I mean, just just that communication that could be intercepted. That's putting them at, at, in danger. Absolutely, it was high risk. Every seconds, I was scared or worried. Maybe they will just like track my wife's right. Phone. So, do you have to decipher sort of this is a message I want to pass on, or this is a message I'll wait until I get a little bit more to give something? Like I was, I would like telling to my wife to please delete every message you're receiving from me. Just delete it. D delete it. Yeah. Yeah. As soon, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Got from it. Your Got it. Phone. Yeah. Got it. As soon as you All get it. Messages, Got it. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Got and it. she also needed, you know, a lot of people are showing up with paperwork to plead their case, you know, like, hey, this is the paperwork that I have. Please let us through. Right. Well, they're crossing through. There's 30 Taliban checkpoints outside the airport right now. So if that, you know, you're going, oh, come here, who are you? Let me search you real quick. Now I got this document. Yeah, let's go over here in this back alley over here real quick. You know, and, that, and that's what was going on. So we're, did she end up uh, bringing paperwork with her that exactly, she had? Yeah, yeah. she did. She, she, I just told her to please keep this like hiding the paperwork that uh, Travis t sent me, and also I sent her in the email. Then he, she just like put it all the paperwork inside her breasts, and because if the Taliban search them, they will like didn't touch on the women's. Huh. We know this because they they didn't do this. That's but they, for yeah. the males, they just search it all around of the body so that's why she just put that all the paperwork's here and she, because of the checkpoints so she's putting that all, all all within her bra or whatever but what are you telling her to say when she goes through taliban i mean because if they're there they're trying to get out like what what is she did she go through taliban checkpoints exactly yeah. and they did and, and one many and many. and many and so what is she saying to the taliban yeah well actually oh i'm you, sorry I'll, let me just back up a little bit here you know, we knew that it's his wife and her three small kids. And we're watching on TV and gathering information. The airport's a wreck. People are being trampled. Babies are dying. Kids are dying Ugh. and just being thrown on sea wire. You know, the Constantina barbed wire. Dead, dead kids everywhere. It, it is a chaos and it's a fight to get out of this country. And so I knew that his wife and those kids aren't going to make it through. You know, so we start kind of exploring, okay, who can help them? Like she had, she had two brothers, two younger brothers that I, you know, I like enlisted to help. You know, he had mentioned uh, them before and I was like, okay, this could work. And so I was giving them like, I need to see how like reliable these people, people are. Cause if I tell you to, to walk and I tell you to take 15 sex or 15 uh, steps and then stop right there and then turn in that alley, I need you to do exactly that. Cause I got a contact walking around out here. That's trying to snatch you. You need to do exactly what I'm telling you to do. Mm. Um, so I was, I started giving them like little side quests, you know, like, Hey, go get a stroller. Um, no, I, I told you, I said, go get, uh, 
go get Wheel- a go get a wheelchair. Wheelchair, yeah. Go get a wheelchair, you know. And I want to put your wife in a wheelchair so she can hold the kids and an umbrella so she can stay in the shade and you know and maybe they'll take pity on her. You know, you're st- you're just coming up with whatever you can come up with. So they run down to the bazaar and they come back with a stroller. Yeah. You know, and so instead of a wheelchair it was a stroller. And at that point I remember we shared like a little bit of humor, you know, like Hey, you learned a new word today. Yeah. You know, that, that's called a stroller, <laughs> you know, and I'd send them to go out and get uh, like battery packs for cell phones, you know, because who knows? Uh, I want you're going to stay there until that last plane leaves. We're going to give it 100 percent everything that we got. So they'd come back and they proved, you know, OK, they're listening to me. We can make something happen. And I told them to tie like a red scarf around them so they can be identified. Mm. And I told them to go out and take a picture of everybody so I can send it to my contact, you know, so we. My contact knows what these people look like. But then once they had all the equipment and, and you know, gear to make this push to the airport and water, uh, I, re- my, you know, I reached out to my contact, said, they're ready. It's like, all right, send them. And so we sent them to a gate called Eastgate first. And they go to the gate, and I mean, it is a fucking madhouse, you know, just like you can envision. Just thousands upon thousands of people, you know, just nut to butt this close with kids, you know, just chaos. Every, all the kids are, you know, sick and tired and heat stroking, sure. sitting out there all sure. day. And, and so his family sat out there and I had a, I actually had a contact, you know, the airports like this and East Gates, like right here, he left through a gate over here and, you know, traversed through Taliban checkpoints, just a single guy came out dressed like, you know, Afghan went out and, uh, you know, at that time his family was relaying where exactly where they're at. And I was having them take videos and pictures so then I can relay to my contact, okay, this is what you need to look for. They're around this area. And I remember they were underneath a little green, uh, like, canopy, like this, you know, umbrella here. And my contact made it all the way up there to him. And I identified him wow. and saw him. Wow. But there was nothing he could do. You know, if he would have, he couldn't get through that gate. He couldn't make it through a hundred, you know, or through tens of thousands of people that were at East Gate at that time. So we had to wave it off, you know, and that was such a, like, Dude, we were so close, you know, and his family ended up waiting and waiting and waiting out there. And his kids, you know, had heat stroke and they ended up leaving. You know, they couldn't, the kids needed to get out of the sun. And so his family ended up uh, leaving and and, and going back home and uh, just rehydrating. And it's like, we're going to do it again. And at that point, his wife was just terrified, you know, like. And again, she she's talking to two guys that are running this operation that aren't even in the country. In the country, right? And she's and, and, like, "Who the fuck are these guys?" Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I want to like be hundred percent to be there, you know, because my wife was alone, my yeah. kids was alone, nobody was with them. But it makes it impossible. It makes it yeah, more dangerous. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it was more dangerous if I would, I couldn't go there, you know. Yeah. The borders were closed. Yeah. There was no way. No the, flights. No flights. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like very difficult for Ugh. me. Each seconds, it was like putting me on the grave, you know, second by seconds. And we, not only me, me and Travis, you know, we didn't like sleep for more than one week, day and night. We just work on this. To out of the, to out them safely from that situation. Wow. So what happens? What happens next? Um, so we're gonna go round two at the airport now. Eastgate was an epic failure, and like a punch to the gut. 
you know, I had confidence going into when the family went to Eastgate. It was like, I got a guy there, like we're gonna make this happen. I know Marines are there, you know, which is like, those are my boys, you know, those are my people. Are and you in contact with them? I'm trying real, real yeah. hard. I'm up on Instagram. I'm looking at, you know, they're all freeze a frame that I saw on the internet or on the news of a name tape with a unit. Okay, that's this unit that's there. Wow, and then you're just tracking And down. then I'm getting online, you know, uh, at, at night in Kabul, you know, because we're there at different times, you know. So while Afghan, you know, while Kabul's sleeping and the airport's shut down, I'm back home here trying to collect intel, okay, make a plan on what's going on. And then when, when Kabul wakes up, Everybody's back to trying to go to the airport. Well, I can't sleep because I'm in contact with my uh, with my contact who's wow. trying to, you know, you got to be like on your toes because once this dude says go, you got to go. Yeah. So it's you don't keeping them. that because you're at fucking Hardee's exactly. or, or taking a nap. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, during that whole time, we're, I'm making contingency plan after contingency plan. I'm, I'm, I'm zooming the map out, looking at the overhead. Okay. I'm, I'm reaching out to redneck buddies back in Tennessee that are good at driving dirt bikes. It's like, hey, I know you're a crazy fuck. Would you be willing to fly into, say, India with me? We cross into Pakistan and then we go in the border, right. acquire a car. We're going to get this dude's family out. Right, right. And right. of course, that dude's like, whatever, man. Let's go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Whose car yeah. are we taking? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. So we're making all plans, you know, just every plan that you could make. Yeah. Um, and just scared out of your mind the whole time. You know, I never had, I've never had that kind of pressure on me before. Sure. This isn't just some random dude who reached out to me. This is my interpreter's family you know and i'd never met his kids but once he starts sending me pictures of his kids man it's like dude you fall in love with them immediately yeah, yeah immediately yeah, you're yeah. like i know these kids i've never met him yeah but his little son yeah. looks just like him yeah we're yeah. gonna get these dudes out yeah 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 uh, and now you're on mission i mean this is this but is... dude the amount of pressure that was on you know yeah. i'm sitting at home in tennessee in front of some computers and I got a little golf cart I drive around. I live on the river. I got four acres. And I'm riding around in my golf cart with my headphones in, waiting for calls from contacts, wow. texting him, strategizing. And my brain and my neighbors, are, you know, they're all like, what the hell is this dude doing out here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time. But, you know, from I think from an outsider's perspective, it looked like I was having a PTSD yeah. meltdown. Yeah. And I don't blame him for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's no time to walk. There's no else time to it. even have yeah. that conversation. Right, right, right. There's no time. Right. The clock is literally ticking right, right. now. Right. Um, so the you know as the um, the days progress, it's like okay, we're gonna make another run on this gate. And my contact reach out to me and and you know he's like, I think Abbey Gate is gonna be the, our best bet. Let's try and get him through Abbey Gate. And I agreed with him. You know I'd seen the overhead maps and, and other video that I've obtained from that gate. It's the best place to get grabbed from the crowd. You know, the Marines have a, an extension out there. There's like a big road that comes across and all the Afghans are lined up on this road. And then here's your entrance into the airport. That's where everybody's trying to get to. So there's just thousands of people packed in here. And then there's the sewage canal. And then there's all the Marines that are lined up and other government entities that are there maintaining security, make sure nobody jumps over the walls and the right people are coming through. Uh, so my contact reached out to me and says, Abby Gates it. We're going to do it at this time. Get your family ready. So reached out to him like, hey, make sure your kids are hydrating, eating food. Convince your wife to to go, you know, because at this point she's like, no, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Mm. You know, and I'm like, listen, lady, I've never met you, but just trust in, you know, our process right now. I know your husband. We know what we're doing here. We're pretty crafty. And she was like, no. 
<laughs> yeah, because she was she afraid. She was like yeah. afraid. She's afraid. Scared. Yeah. Especially because of my children, you know. Each each seconds, every minutes was like a possible. There was possibility or chance of their death. I mean, in the middle of that crowd, that right. chaos. Right. Mm -hmm. Because of that, she was so afraid and said, "No, I I don't want to go back right. to that airport." Right. To that situation. Right. And they're sending pictures of these just horrid conditions. You know, there's a there's a picture that really struck home with me with his oldest daughter uh, that was sent to, yeah. you know, Rom from his wife had sent this picture and sent it to me. And it's a picture of his oldest daughter uh, just laying, you know, sitting up and kind of leaning on a suitcase, sitting on top of human feces. Oh, my God. You know, and it was like no child deserves to go through through this, let alone my boys. Yeah. Like kid yeah you know and it was just like man and there was a lot of times where there was no hope in that you know it's like we're going to try everything we can but i don't think this is going to work mm. you know there's a lot of doubt that you're sure. battling and, and facing sure but anyway the my contact reaches out to me and says hey we're going to make another run at this get your family ready give me an updated picture of them so, you know, they, whatever clothes they changed into, I had them go out and take another picture of them, tie the red bandanas on, get the kids in the stroller, bring water, bring your battery chargers. Uh, I don't know if they had an umbrella. I think I told them to grab an umbrella yeah, for did. shade. They still have those umbrellas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need that umbrella. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so they, they went to the, to the gate and it, and it was a madhouse. Cause again, the clock's ticking. You know, all the whole world knows that that last flight out of there, I, I wish I had the date in front of me. I should know it. It was like August 27th, something like that was the red line, you know, that the Taliban drew. The Taliban said, we've negotiated. How with far away, how far away are you from that date at this point? It was the 20, 24th. 24th. Well, yeah. yeah. So it's just 24th. a matter of days. Yeah. Yeah. Two days. We're close. And we've been at it for two weeks. You know, dude. I've been telling this dude to be patient for two weeks. Trust me. Trust in this process. Convince your wife to go. That's your only job. Um, but so my, again, my contact reaches out to me and says, get the family ready. And I'm, you know, just through the roof. Like, here we go. Um, and so instead of texting him, you know, because usually I called him directly. And I was like, hey, my contact's there. This is what's going on. And he's like, <laughs> there's like humor in this. He's like, brother, this is Taliban trick. No, we can't do this. You know, it's like. <laughs> Everybody's being told there's a contact there and to go to the airport right now. It's This is a Taliban trick. We're not right. doing this. And I was right. like, if you've ever listened to me <laughs> in your life, yeah, like yeah, yeah. you're going to do exactly yeah. what I'm telling you to yeah. do right now. Yeah. You yeah. remember that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I convinced him and thank God he convinced his wife and they loaded up and uh, went to the airport. And, you know, the whole time this is going on, I'm in direct contact with my guy at the airport who's outside of a gate and he's got his guys, his operators that he's pushing outside the wire to look for these guys and I'm relaying positions where they're at at all times. Um, and one thing we're battling that whole time is cell phone service, you know, cause we finally made it all the way up there to this gate and now they don't have cell phone service. And now I can't relay exactly where they're at. Yeah. And it's like horrifying, you know, so, cause they've yeah. came so close and now we, we, you know, they're not going to be able to find them. And, and we, we went through shitty uh, cell phone service, that whole day and finally they they get to the airport my contact sends his guys out and they end up spotting uh one of the brothers and uh flags him down and it was just like a 
and my, my contact sends me, hey, we've got eyes on them. And it was just like unbelievable. It just, I mean, it's finding a needle in the haystack with all these people. Because, you know, you got to understand with the amount of people that's in here, I mean, just picture going to a Metallica concert with all these lunatics right, and trying to make right. your way up to the front row. Right, it's not right, going to happen. Right, right, right. There's mosh Everyone's pits. trying to get to Everybody. the front row. No one cares, dude. And it's Everybody's... not just to see fucking Lars fucking play the drums. Yeah. It's like yeah. life is life yes. is that gate. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and people are willing to do anything because they're, they're in the same situation because they've got kids too. Right, right. And you, you, it ain't happening from the middle. Like, you no. know, like it's only happening at the front. Yeah. And so we, we got them positioned. Wow. I'm telling them to get up in here and, you know, get in, get in the crowd. And I think at one point she was attacked. Yeah. She yeah. backed off and it's like, no, I'm not. She got cold feet. No, I'm not going to sit here and watch my kids get trampled to death. It's not happening. Ugh. And and I remember being so selfishly fucking mad at her, you know, looking back at it. It's yeah. like, you know, while it was happening, I was like, well, she just needs to listen to me. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and even back when I told them to leave the house, okay, okay leave the house right now. You, my contact wants you there. You're going to leave the house right now. And I remember them taking a long time to leave. And I remember messaging him like, Rom, I told you yeah. to have your family, you know, ready to go at a moment's notice and leave. And it took like 10, 15 minutes. And, you know, looking back at it, dude, she's saying goodbye to her entire family that she'll never probably ever see again. Nieces, nephews, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, a whole life. And here I am, some American sitting in a golf cart in Tennessee, mm. telling her to hurry, mm. you know, for a good reason. Yes, for sure. but, you know, I look back at that and it's like, man, it kind of like shows you like the different perspectives. Totally. You know, we think the answer is, oh, just do it fast or right. do this. And it's like, dude, especially from a goodbye. grunt's perspective, right? Yeah. Like you're used to being the yeah. grunt on the ground. Now right. you're the general calling the shots. Yeah. 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 But anyway, so they fast forward back to Abbey, you know, they, they make it to Abbey Gate. And they, they start to position through the crowd and, you know, they start to encounter, you know, some rough stuff getting, you know, she's getting beat up, pushed around. So she pulls out and, you know, Rom's like, no, she's done. Right. You yeah, remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I she's was just... so scared on that time when she just attacked by the crowd pupils on that. And she just laid down on the ground. And uh, I was like thinking that she will be die like this. How, you how, know? How, how, how old are the kids at this point? Uh, my twins was like uh, two and a half. Ugh, yeah. yeah, and my older daughter was six. So, so she she's holding the the. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's holding the two kid the, the yeah, twins. The twins. Yeah. And then the six year old is what just holding on to her. Sure. Because so, I think yeah. she pushed him. She pushed him in the stroller, or they got him in the stroller as far as they could. Right, and but then, then it's they got to ditch crowded. the stroller. Yeah, yeah. 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 strollers got to go. Whatever yeah, extra that, stuff. People, rest of people didn't let you go. Of course. Or for Of course. And before. the brothers are just doing what yeah, they because can. Because everybody to... wants to leave. Of course. Know? Of course. There was no priority. Right. 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 I mean, no order. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, you know, they, you know, Rom convinces her, hey, you got to try it again. And I remember messaging him like, this is your shot at freedom right now. This is the chance for your children to live a life that, you know, that you could have never imagined. Uh, and Rom convinced her and he's agreed, okay, we're going to try it again. And sure enough, they go back in there to try again. And that's when the one of the operators comes out, sees them, and then calls them over. And they kind of got to go through the crowd. And the crowd kind of parts the ways a little bit because they see a guy, you know, motion them for him to come here. And they uh, they cross that. You remember because all the Afghans are here. There's a giant sewage canal in the middle. And then that's where all the Marines are on the other side. And so they swim across the sewage canal. 
with the, the kids above their heads and uh, hand them up to those dudes. <sighs> and they, you know, snatch those kids up and then that my contact reaches out to me, hey, we got them. Ugh. Dude, when I heard that, you know, when I think back on this whole story, I, I don't have memories. I mean, I've got a, I knew I was riding around in my golf cart, pacing around like a lunatic in my yard. But when I think back to that two weeks we were doing this, like I struggle with figuring out where I was when I found out that information. Cause yeah. when I flash back to that time, like I'm there with them. Yeah. My memories are in at Abbey gate with them. My memories are at their house or in a taxi outside the airport, you know, cause I'm familiar with all of those areas. But man, when the, they swam across with the kids above their heads and handed them up to those dudes and you know, they snatched those kids up and my contact, you know, it was like, we got them. You know, dude, I just fucking collapsed on the ground. I mean, it was unreal. And then, you know, obviously relayed that to him, you know. What would you think about it when you... Yeah, it was, it was, I can say, like the best moment of my life when I just received a message from Travis that he told me, my contacts got your family. No worry at all. They just made to enter to the airport right now. It was the best moment I can say. Yeah. And I was so lucky and just my tears came. I couldn't like stop. Yeah. You know, regardless of paperwork, you know, because the immigration is just a nightmare to get, but, and they're still not U.S. citizens, but when they cross that sewage canal, and those Americans touched them. Yeah. They are a fu they're fucking Americans right then. Yeah. And it's the coolest thing that the Marines have ability to do. You know, we can touch somebody and you're now one of us forever. And your kids are going to live a great life now. You know, I get goosebumps talking about it. I mean, it was just the craziest roller coaster of emotions. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what would have happened if, if we were unsu unsuccessful with that, because they, they took those kids and then they, you know, made them walk and then they threw them in a up armored land cruiser and drove them out to the flight line and they went into a building and, okay, verified who they were. And then I confirmed with my contact, hey, what flight are you putting these, these guys on? Because at that point, it's not, they're not just sending 100,000 people to the U.S. Right. There's countries opening up their borders all over, like, not great countries right you know we're right. talking third world countries over in africa right that are like uh you're gonna give us how much money to take these people right okay yeah bring right. them let them sit in the desert and we'll give them some water right and that was also a big fear you know we don't want to have them end up in a country like that right right where we kind of you know we lose contact with them because right. there's no cell phone service like right. this is you're you're realizing this is an, a massive hurdle you just got over yeah but you're not there yet we're not there yet no and uh my contact who's the greatest contact you could ever have. I wish I could reveal who this dude is, uh, but he doesn't want to be named. You know, I, I understand that. I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not yeah, interested yeah, yeah. in that. I, I. But that being said, I guess the one thing that I'm in it, was your contact there because I, hearing this story and trying to put myself in both of your shoes, I would imagine like the heart, the hardest thing is to keep 
motivating this contact like at any point right because you feel like you're going to burn them out right and like at some and like what is the contact doing there like what is like is the contact doing specifically yeah he's he's there on behalf of the of the government assigned a certain task from dc to go in there and do a certain thing Uh, 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 understood but like i I, correct me if i'm wrong i I imagine the context job that day or job being there is not getting certain people out is that what he's specifically supposed to be doing there no i don't i I think he was there to assist in that process but you know you know i made it clear to relay to these my contact and both my contacts that set this up like this is a dude that isn't just some random afghan dude this is a dude who's on the front lines with us has carried my dead dudes around to helicopters who's carried gear for us and he's done everything we could ask and I was be sure to, you know, I was sending them pictures too. Like, here's a picture with me and this dude back in Marja in 2010. Like, this is who this dude is. Right. And also letting those dudes know and kind of putting the heat on them. Hey, if you don't make this happen, my ass is going in there. Mm-hmm. And I know you don't want that. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't look good on you guys. Right. But I, I wanted to, I didn't, you know, I wasn't talking to him roughly like that, but I wanted him them to know but, that. But, but but it is. It's such a it's such yeah. a crazy thing to navigate yeah. because it's like your wife everybody has got to you know, you know, sort of achieve this this impossible goal. But at any point, you know, if she if she said, Look, I just can't do it, or like, hey, look, man, my hands are fit like we tried. Like yeah. there's so many chances of failure. Absolutely. Just, Absolutely. And you're just the whole time you're just you're yeah. just praying to to for it to work. Can you talk about getting eyes on them for the first time well i had him send uh i was like send me a picture of them like i want to see a picture of these you know in the airport and uh you know my contact sends me the picture and again just boo-hooed crying you know thought i was tough you know because i'd been to marcia back in 2010 hadn't shed many tears and here i am just you know in my sunroom at my house just crying and sent relaying him these pictures and also relaying it to other friends uh, that knew what was going on, other Marines that we were with, other Army guys that he knows, and they're all crying too. And, you know, it's just unbelievable. And and I also had him confirm, hey, where is the plane going that you're sending them? Because now I'm right back on to, okay, I got, another, I got another thing here. You know, this is we don't want this to roller coaster or start spiraling into another problem that we've got to solve. Sure. I want them on a flight to the USA. Sure. And... You know, once he got them in that building and verified who they were and sent me that picture, and then I said, okay, where's the flight going? And he's like, USA. It was just like, let's go, baby. And uh, and they they went, you know, they walked them out to the flight line, and there's a bunch of Afghans piling on. I mean, they're cramming these uh, these planes for these transport planes. Uh, and, that, you know, they, they, they take off. And he sent me a, a pictures of them walking out there and getting on the, getting on the wow. bird and taking off and leaving. And uh, they ended up going to, uh, where'd they go, Qatar? Yeah. Yeah, they went to Doha, uh, Qatar, uh, where there was like a little staging area for refugees coming in and uh, like processing uh, facilities. And, you know, not, I want to say it was like six or seven hours after that happened, we got them out and that family was snatched out by those guys and brought in and, and gone. Their lives are changed forever. A suicide vest came in and blew up and killed 13 or killed 12 Marines, one army soldier. Um, and the death toll of the Afghans that was at that gate, it's over a hundred oh, and climbing. 
right there. And, you know, we'll never know exactly sure. We'll never know exactly for 100% sure if those were the guys that snatched our family out. But I would say there's a good, good chance that it was those dudes. God bless him. Yeah. Unreal. You know, how close that his family was to being right there. Because it was right there within feet of where they were at. You know, and to see that hit the news, and it was just, at that point, you know, you're waking up after finally, okay, the family's family's safe, they're on a flight, let me try, I have to sleep, my body's going to shut down, and then waking up and seeing that on the news. You remember that, Rom? Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) When did you get to hold him for the first time, touch him for the first time, and cut her? Oh, no. It It was a difficult time, you know, when you were being like separated from your kids and your families i was just like waiting for the paperwork process even it was not on that time started my paperwork when my family just got to the cattle you know because me and travis was didn't think for myself on that time just for my family you know so i was waiting just for like one year or more like this, you know, held up in Turkey, waiting on paperwork. Yeah, wow, to get or, to America. Yeah, exactly. E- even even with your service. Yep. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, I can say it. It was like more than one decade, you know, like twelve years waiting for this, yeah. you know. But especially in this period, I just left my kids. Like I said, for you, they were two and a half years old. So I saw and hugged them when they were four years old. Wow. For three, two and a half years, I was away from them. Yeah, separated from them. Yeah. You know, he he left Kabul because the USA wasn't taken. You know, it's like, you can't come here. So Rom's like, Roger that. Let's keep the ball rolling. I'm going to get my family out somehow. So Turkey accepted him. And he did everything he was supposed to do over there, get the visas. And he you obtained the visas, right? Yeah. He obtained the visas and sent them back to Kabul, to the Turkish embassy. Yeah. And that's when... Kabul was taken over and all of those embassies evacuated. Wow. Yeah. So if they would have had the Turkish passports, they could have left. They could, wow. Yeah. But wow. it was their that close. Was, and their passports was inside the embassy, Turkish embassy on that time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So it was more difficult for me on that time. And I like you ask it when you just hugged him, just like after two and a half years. And that was, and that was, that, that was stateside. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What was that like? Uh, it was like December 2022. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. When I think I it was the 24th, get... right? Or 23rd, 23rd. Day before Christmas Eve. Yeah. Uh-huh. 23rd, December yeah. 22, I just got here finally. Yeah. Yeah. And it was good moment as well, you know, when I just <laughs> hear from USCIS, you know. It was it was this paperwork was like for me going from hell to paradise sure. i was waiting like this you know because i was messing for my kids yeah. you know yeah. yeah every time when i just called to my daughter to my oldest one she was saying why you're not coming where are you everyone has that but not me so it happened for me and it was like a you know like there is a power above us, above me, above my family, just watching us, you know. Mm-hmm. It was happened the same gate that when I just start working with the Marines, my family just left at the same gate to the US. 
the same the same git where I just start working with the Marines back yeah. in 2010. I just flew from the same git to the Marja. Yeah. When he got that you know, interpreter job, when he when, back in 2010, when he became the you know, okay, you're an interpreter, you're going to go to Marja, go to the airport and go to the, go to Abbey Gate because that's where you're going to uh, find your yeah. helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. They just evacuated from the same gate. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's. But you know that's a, that was a whole nother battle getting him here because he's stuck in Turkey, and unfortunately he's not the priority. It's it's getting women and children and all these people out, and he sat in in refugee camps for how long was it total? It was like a year and a half. Yeah, it was a year. Yeah, yeah total. Yeah. Yeah. So he went from you know Doha. He went from Turkey. Linked him up with some contacts there, yeah. sent him to the refugee camp in Doha. It was taken forever there. You know, all the background investigations that take place, and, and, and for good reason. For sure. And, and Ram agrees too. I mean, it was a pain yeah. in the ass, and we were disappointed that it wasn't expedited, but we both agree for good reason. For sure. It's the price of freedom. Yes. For sure. Uh, and they sent him to Kosovo, where there was another uh, base there. What was that camp called? Uh, it was. Leah, Leah, Camp Leah. It was named after, if I'm not mistaken, it was named after a baby that was born, an Afghan baby that was born exactly. on an evacuated, yeah. uh, on a flight that, that left Kabul. Wow. So they named this camp, Camp Leah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. yeah. I'm, wow. I hope I'm getting that right. I'm pretty sure that's. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You know, while, while this is going on and you're going to Kosovo, where, where, where's your family? Well, they, they got my sent family, to. Go ahead. Yeah. Just my family got here just like one year like before I just start uh, my paperwork started right. I just start moving from Turkey to Qatar then to Kosovo right they just got here and they're in US. where are they they're they landed in they, a place called Fort Pickett in Virginia which okay. is like an uh, an army holding uh base um for ref processing refugees because it was such a fast thing nobody was processed leaving there so yeah. now we've got a little time we're going to actually process who these people are and really dig into who they are um, so they sat there for what two months? For, no, for more than three months. Three months. Yeah, yeah. they were over there for yeah. further processing yeah. of the paperwork, of the like medical examina examination, everything like yeah. this. And and your 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 wife emotionally like where, where, how, is she happy to be there? Is she sad to like where, 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 where? Yeah, in the first in the first when they just evacuated on the aircraft in military, it was the first time for a woman with the thousands of people, like maybe more than like thousand, you know, in a one aircraft. Yeah. They just gathered to each other, you know, there was no other privacy to some men just touch you around your back or around your hands or on your legs, lamps like this. So for her, it was so difficult. I bet. Very difficult. And also, you know, she didn't wash her body, her feet, for more than two days from from going through all the sewage the sheds, canal all wow. the sheds all the dirt from the sewage canal yeah when she just crossed that it was just inside at her body wow yeah and she just like had very like a bad smell and so when they just got cattle and after that they just got to here in four packet when i was talking with her she had a good feeling yeah good. and she was so happy and she didn't care about anything on the past she was just thinking for the future especially for my kids yeah, for our yeah, kids yeah yeah. yeah 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 it's beautiful and when that you know was going on 
It was like, these people, Rom, I don't care what you say. Your family's coming to live at my house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got nowhere to go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll be damned if we're going to make it this far. Right. And you get thrown uh, in a dangerous neighborhood somewhere. Because that's what what happens. Yeah, Is a lot of refugees end up going to the inner cities of these places. Number one, where it's dangerous. Number two, where it's, they can't afford this. They've left everything behind. They don't have credit. They don't. And you're going to send them to go live in this other war zone. Right, right. So I was like, absolutely not. So I, I rally my little uh, town together and, you know, we collect donations. I mean, at the drop of a hat, I got a, my wife's friends, you know, they, at the drop of a hat, man, they had beds, clothes, wow. go down the list and anything these people would need. I mean, it was like overnight, it was appeared in, in our house. Yeah, it, it was awesome. So and you so, had the family there with you before yeah, he got there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and what, what was that like? Unbelievable. I mean, you know, it took forever. Once they got to Fort Pickett, uh, the, the army base for processing, it was, was it two months they were there? Three months. Three about. months, yeah. yeah. So they just, and you can imagine after everything I've been through, I still haven't met these people. We're preparing for them to, to get here. I don't have a job. This right. is my job now until right. Rom gets right. here. Right, right, right. And yeah. is your girlfriend now your wife? Yeah. Yeah. And and is she excited about it? Yeah. 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 This must have been crazy. It was interesting to see because, you know, I know Afghans and I've traveled the world. You know, she at that point, she hadn't really, you know, so she's asking, like, you know, do they speak English? Like, yeah. do I have to wear a hijab? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah. no. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? But it was interesting to see that that clash of uh, I bet. cultures. I bet. I yeah. Because it was like her. She's a uh, labor and delivery nurse. So she, okay. she meets, you know, people who speak different languages. Sure. But, you know, to have somebody like that live in your house. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, it was interesting Interesting to, to see. But, yeah, we finally got the call from Fort Pickett. Hey, uh, these people say that they're going to come live with you. Are you on board with that? I'm like, let's go. Uh, put them on a plane. And they flew them uh, into Knoxville. And um, my wife, me and my wife were hanging out, waiting on them. And then I've got a tracking device on the, on the plane. You know, I know exactly where they're at. And they land, like, here they come. And then... <laughs> here you know here they come through through security and you know it's like they went from people just that i just saw pictures of to like i'm now holding my interpreter's kids wow you know it's just the most it's so powerful you know it is so powerful you know that's the realities of war you know that's yeah sure you know military people they get out and they have issues and this and that but you know dude this is those are the ones are the most affected you know these kids Mm -hmm. you know these kids would have never gone to school especially Mm -hmm. the two girls they would have never gone to school you know they would have just lived under darkness like like rom says yeah um but to have them show up and man we it was like i knew them you know and i felt that you know from them too you know it was like Oh, this is that crazy fuck. Yeah, because uh, yeah, remember, you know, in the beginning of the story, his wife's like, I, I don't know your crazy friend. Like, yeah, who is yeah, this yeah, dude? Yeah, yeah. He's in Tennessee. But yeah, yeah, when they showed up, it was just, we swooped them up. And then, uh, you know, we had been collecting donations. And I put the word out in my little, you know, southern town, which I also want to point out. And a lot of people have asked me this. You know, the South has such a uh, stigma for being racist. And yeah, yeah. You know, we don't like people that aren't white rednecks. Right, and right. And that is such bullshit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I feel it necessary to, like, clear that air for other people to hear. And a lot of times it's people from the, that aren't even from the South that are making this assumptions, you know. But we're all poor down South together. 
you know? <laughs> and my little town came together and blew it out of the water. Yeah. You know, these yeah. kids showed up, but they didn't have social security numbers yet. They didn't have, you know, they were missing so many documents and things that were required for them to attend schools. Um, but, you know, before those kids showed up, I went to the local school system where me and my wife went to school, you know, just a tiny little town. Kids that we went to school with are now teachers and administrators. And so it was cool to walk in there and like, hey guys, we don't have kids, because don't, we don't have kids. Uh, I don't know what this is about being a, you know, like a parent here. I don't know what to do, but I know I got three kids inbound here. Yeah. And I don't know when exactly they're going to be here, but the dad over here wants them going to school like right away. That's right. You know, immediately. That's right. Which is real cool on him. Yep. And so we lined it up with those administrators. And um, I remember when we got word finally uh, from Fort Pickett that, you know, they're coming to Tennessee. Everything's ready. The green light. Let's go. You know, the day before they came, I went into that school and I went into this like uh, administrator's office building. And it's all just a bunch. Of, you know, it's all a bunch of women. And I, I walk in there and, I, dude, I didn't have the words to even tell them that, hey, OK, the family's here. Like mm -hmm. I walked in there and couldn't even speak, you know, just cried my eyes out. Mm -hmm. And they knew what was going on. You know, and while I'm sitting there just crying like a bitch, they're like lining up paperwork in front of me. You know, these little, oh, just sign over here, baby. Yeah. yeah come on now. Just say, hey, it's going to be OK. Out. Just sign here. Hey, they're going to be here. It's all right. You know, and I'm just crying my eyes out and, you know, hugged everybody and thanked them. And man, our town rallied around these people. And I'm so proud of those people. Beautiful. I'm so unbelievably proud because they moved faster than people. You know, I'm talking to people in the White House when sure. this is going on. I've got contacts everywhere. Not that I'm just like some high-speed dude. But, you know, when you when you do this work, you meet a lot of people. And those women in that, that school district in my town moved 10 times faster yeah. than any government entity could have even thought to do. Because it was and, the and right I'm, thing to and do. And I'm so proud of them for yeah. that. That's beautiful. Yeah, so they showed up. We picked them up at the airport and brought them back to the house. And, and man, I got two little two and a half year old twins i got a six-year-old girl <laughs> nobody speaks english his wife speaks a little bit of english uh the two brothers spoke a little bit of english and it was just you know because we're used to living that quiet life you know we don't have kids we're hanging out here on the river my biggest concern is like when am i going to mow like yeah. when is it when is it yeah. going to rain because yeah. i got to get out there and mow and weed yeah. and it went from like we got a house full of afghans here yeah you know yeah it wild, dude, but so cool to, you know, they're riding around on my lawnmower, you yeah, know, with me. Yeah, like, they're yeah. loving it. They're like, yeah, oh, let's go. So awesome. Yeah. But it was it was so interesting to see, like, the language. You know, they didn't speak in any English, and now they're full-blown. Wow. Can speak all the English. They How can... long have they been here? Just two years. Yeah, two, two years. years. Yeah, two years. Yeah, yeah same wow. amount, August. But that time was really hard because he's still stuck sure. in Turkey. Sure. You know, and my bank account's dwindling. It's like, yeah. I'm not a rich guy. Yeah, like, yeah. and I also told him like, hey, I'm I'm not leaving until your family is in a stable environment. Man. And, uh, but yeah, the donations just poured in. You know, if somebody donated, there was a, a great couple out of Knoxville that donated. Uh, they, they didn't been involved with refugees in the past. And, and this, this great woman um, uh, donated. She knew she wasn't going to be around that much longer. And she donated uh a suburban 
older suburban, wow. but it was in great shape. And wow. I mean, it, it was just true Southern hospitality coming wow. together to bring these people in and to make it happen. I love this story so much, and I'm 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 so like blown away by it. And you know, it's all the you know story of of of, of brotherhood and, and and family and 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 America and fatherhood, you know, and dedication. It's not normal, man. Like I, I don't no. think most people would do, you know, would would would, you know, come. I, I, I'm I'm just wondering, did you know something about him? that he's the guy that would do that? Like, why? Like, how did you know that he was that guy? Yeah. Because this is above and beyond anything I've ever heard, right? I mean, it's yeah. like, how, what about him? What, what, what made you reach out to him? Yeah. I mean, I just trusted on him than myself, you know? We, we just had a time when we were in the mission, you know? We were ready to sacrifice for each other, you know? When you're ready to sacrifice your blood for other person, so you don't need to trust to him anymore, you know? It's it, the trust is nothing, you know, I mean. It's it's just gone, you know, everything. Just you you do what he says, you know. What what he says, you you just like believe what he says or or in his word, you know. And you saw that in combat. Exactly. You saw you you exactly. saw exactly yeah, who he I was. I, I I had like fully trusted on him you know just he just said me one word nothing else that i help you so i just left my family with for him you know my family's life everything's if i didn't receive any message from travis in any reason you know maybe he was busy or didn't access on the message i didn't do this i didn't accept this risk it was a big risk that i just accepted this and I just lifted everything for him and I thought that he is doing everything that I am doing for my family and he did he was like a father for my children until I got there and he did more than than me everything's for them you guys came together yeah. you, you know under uh, uh, under these sort of like insane circumstances where trust was so almost impossible yeah. to build and in as chaotic and uh dangerous and, and just as rough an environment as as possible yet this bond was built and it's like you said it's um clear hold and build mm -hmm. you know like you saw this mission yeah. through yeah and and together, you know, working on this, like he didn't, you know, the, I'm just like, look, what, hearing the story, there's a yeah. million chances for this thing to fall. And there's a yeah. million chances for you to say, hey, yeah. look, dude, I love you. I, I, call me if you need anything. Yeah. But like you quit, you quit your job, like you quit, you, you, you just, you literally put everything and, and then yeah. it, it just, it, it, it kept going. You know, it's like it's it's. It, I mean, it's it's almost like what you said about the South. I I I. You know, it's like sometimes there's like these misconceptions. You you know, I I think there's maybe misconceptions about our our military, about the 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 strength and the 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 inner the, the inner honor of of the Marine Corps. Like I, I don't know what it is, but this just does not seem that most people would go to the lengths that you that that you've yeah, gone uh, to. You know, I had the ability to do this. You know, not everybody, and this is the most non-egotistical answer to your question, but I had the ability to do this. Not everybody lived the life that I did. Not everybody ran off and joined the Marine Corps and met an interpreter and then quit doing that and then found different jobs overseas 
to explore the Middle East and, and you know, Afghanistan and, and, and make contacts. You know, not everybody could have made this happen mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. me, mm -hmm. you know, and I knew that, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I knew it, it was my ball to fumble mm -hmm. if it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense at all? It, it, it does. I mean, I got it. I mean, it's not, it is a non-egotistical answer. I, you know, to me, it sounds like a Herculean task and it sounds like a yeah. task that like, just like you said, five minutes, yeah. you know, whatever it was a couple hours later yeah. at that same gate, look at, look at what happened. Yeah. So it, it like your ball to fumble. I, I like, think, I think maybe, you know. What I've learned since I was 18 years old, you know, from Marine Corps gunfights, IEDs to sticky situations, you know, here in the States or in another country, you know, there's nobody really coming for you except the dudes that you're with. Yeah, there's government entity, entities out there and three letter agencies that'll come pitch in depending on what the situation is. But, you know, you, you got who's around you right now. And, and I'm not going to be the dude that just says no to this guy. Because knowing Rom, he's going to find a way to come here. You know? He will find a way. This dude stops at nothing. And then I'm supposed to go visit him and be like, oh, yeah, sorry, I couldn't help you out. Work was more important. Right, right. You right, know? Right. And that comes from the Marine Corps, I think. You know, from being a, you know, in the grunts, right, in the infantry, we don't have... Uh, the assets and, and people behind us that, you know, special operations communities do, you know, they've got C-130 Spectre gunships and Apaches and jets and, you know, sharks with laser beams on their foreheads, right? They've got every capability out yeah, there. Yeah. If we're lucky, we get some air support. Right. If we're lucky, that, that bird coming to pick up our wounded is there in under an hour. Right. You, you know? got the guys next to you. That's it. That's it. You know, and that, and I really like that though about the Marine Corps, you know, especially the grunt unit stuff in the Marine Corps, everything is so simplified. Like do the task at hand. If there's a building in your way, blow it up and get through it. You know, there's no, we're going to do this. It's something that I've always taken, you know, from the Marine Corps. It's just simplifying the task at hand and getting it done. And, 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 you know, this dude was, he's a friend of mine. You know, when I call somebody a friend of mine, you know, I, I take that, you know, it's a big deal to me. You know, I've got buddies back home that I'm very, very close with who have kids. Um, you know, if, if something ever happened to those dudes, you know, bet your ass I'd do the same thing, you know. And I think a lot of people would. For sure. You know, but it's just they don't have the opportunity to do that. Um, but, man, I just love this dude. I don't know what it is, Rome. He's a good-looking guy. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm enormously grateful to you both, and and bless both you and your family, man. It's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful story. You got, um, is there anything else you guys want to? We're definitely gonna, as, as part of this, um, we're, we're gonna add the GoFundMe stuff, yeah. and we're gonna figure out ways to raise money. If there's anything you yeah. guys want to say specifically about that, you could, you could, you could say it now. Um, we could also do it if you guys have something we can just, yeah. you, you know, you know, tag that along. But if there's anything else you guys feel like yeah. you want to cover in this or anything else you want to say, you know, I, I'd like to say, and I appreciate being given the opportunity to say it, you know, the, I, I think it looks like, oh, the hard part's over. He's here now. His family's here. They're safe. But as we know, look at our economy right now. Here's a guy coming over, you know, being in the military, I've got VA benefits. I've got health benefits, you know, there's disability benefits out there, there's resources, you know, for these guys coming over, there's nothing. 
and they left everything behind. Banks are frozen over there, all their assets left behind. And you so, better believe he was part of, he, yeah. he, he was a part of this yeah. war and he, he, yeah. he fought alongside, exactly. Absolutely, so you know, his struggle still continues. Um, you know, they're still being relocated. You know, they still don't have a home yet. We got them an apartment, some people came together in our town. Um, you know, the rental market's a disaster right now, just housing in general's ridiculous right now. But, you know, I'm not gonna stop until I see this guy with a key to his house and walking in his front door. And then I think that's when I can take a break, you know. But I really wanna see this guy in the house and that's what we're, we're raising money for. You know, he deserves it, his family deserves it. They deserve some sort of nor normalcy and a place to call home in an, in an end to this relocating, yep. you know, because they're being relocated around. Nothing, they, they need something permanent. You know, I'm tired of having question or seeing question marks in his eyes, like, well, what's gonna happen what's next? here? This, that, you know, they need a home. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm fighting for to get them. And we'll find a way. Yes, you will. Period. Yep. Wow. Some, something will come along where it, it happens. I'm, I'm positive. You have any, any, anything else you want to say before we? Yeah. Like Travis said, we are like right now just struggling with this situation. Uh, but let me just say that I'm really grateful to him, to his awesome wife, you know, her name is Kelly. Yeah. And this is the best wife, <laughs> best partner for him and for me, like a sister. And uh, I also just want to appreciate all the community, you know, the pupils who just helped my family through this time you know they yeah. were with my family like their family they didn't just give it like bad feel for my family that they are from they just came from other country you know my wife my kids just feeling they're involved with this community right Beautiful. now people yeah. people found a way to get involved yeah they didn't have money to donate to our you know we were on the news and people were coming together and donating and dropping off items and i'd you know our little town we live we got a little grocery store nearby and you know this little old Appalachian woman recognizes me in the store this is one of my favorite stories but she's like I mean if you want to talk to her I'd need to translate for you you know <laughs> she's just got a you know banjos in her mouth <laughs> yeah. but she uh she walked up to me she's like little tiny little lady hunchback she's like now I sent you on the news <laughs> and I ain't got no money but I want you to and she had two rotisserie chickens yeah. she's like I want you to take these chickens over to that mama okay Tell her we love her. Oh, and, I, you know, I went to thank her. Yep, that's it. You know, and she just mm -hmm. walked out, yeah. you know. But but Bless so her. many of those encounters like that, they're finding a way to help. That's what really, like, blew this out of the water. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Yeah. The, the people of our town, man, they're just incredible people. I wish I could hug and kiss all of mm -hmm. them, but it'd be weird. Yeah. You know? <laughs> did, 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 uh... Is America what you expected? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Not my wife, but me, yeah. Yeah, why, why not your wife? Yeah, my wife, because, you know, she didn't just went away from the, my country, you know, she didn't have any travel outside the country, and she didn't, like, uh, have uh, experience of this kind of other pupils, you know. Even she just came, arrived here, she didn't expect this, that what Travis, Kelly, other Americans, especially our town pupil, you know, do for her you know yeah, yeah. but just 
after two, three months, she's like fall in love yeah, with all good. of them, you know? Beautiful. Yeah. And she's a real American right now. <laughs> yeah. I can yeah, say yeah, this. Yeah. 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 The the change in his kids that's happened over the, the last two years is really cool. Because, you know, they showed up not speaking any English and now they're starting yeah. to... Da, da, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> which is really cool you know and they get it from my wife man she she's comes from long appalachian yeah. heritage you know and she's like oh my gosh what's that what's going on what's this you know talking like this and blah 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 and, yeah. and so now these little especially his two little daughters man they really pick pick up on that she's way. there there couldn't have been a better female by my side for this i mean she's just a Bless beautiful her. woman beautiful soul happy always smile on her face mm and uh always doing makeup and hair and southern bell mm -hmm. you know and, and i think those girls really you know they were their that was their first taste of an american woman is okay who's this woman here and she she was just awesome but yeah we're starting to see those little southern accents come through <laughs> that's so awesome. like she we went to the beach and then uh we went to the beach one time and then uh we came back and the oldest was like kaylee did you bring me any seashells? Like, all right, Forrest Gump, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's yeah. so But it's great. such it's such a cool story. It is, you know, man. And it, it, it's not just what happened. The incredible thing isn't what just what happened in Kabul and getting them out. I mean, I, to me, what what happened when they came to our town is even cooler. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's so cool yeah. Yeah. To, to load up these kids and then go into this store, and I got three Afghan kids, and... You know, it was just, it, it is so cool yeah. to experience that and, and to load up his kids and specifically his daughters in the suburban that somebody donated yeah, and pick yeah. them up and take them to school where me and my wife went. Wow. And to watch them, you know, I, at first I'm terrified to let them leave my side, but I'd walk them up the steps and take them into the classrooms. And then finally the, the, the oldest is like, Travis, no, you stay in the car. I'm, I can walk up here, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it, man, it, it, you want to talk about powerful watching the, that little fearless girl. Mm. Uh, she was in kindergarten at the time, run up those steps Yeah, is just the coolest. I've done yeah. a lot of cool things, but bringing this family to, to my town is the coolest thing you could ever do. Yeah. It's beautiful guys. I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful that you, you shared with us and, um, just bless bless both you and your families man it's really really cool thank you guys yeah appreciate you thank having you. us on thank you oh come on come on uh i can say that uh, i have n not as pressure as i had like in the previews in the past i just feel myself my family like uh, very peaceful very like in a uh, rest uh life here uh the only thing that I have pressure right now is only I want just one day, like in this kind of meet, uh, uh, like a podcast or just like this kind of meeting, my daughter, you know, my daughter, my kids will be sitting here and talk what they did, you know, mm -hmm. for this country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is only my pressure that I hope I can just like handle this, you know. And I try my best for this, that my children will be proud for this society. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And this is one of the main target for myself, for my wife. We don't want anything else. They should just grow up here and they just serve for this, for their country. Yeah. I remember when he landed here, sorry to keep rambling here, but when he landed, uh, 
you know, I let him stay at home for a couple days and I was like, I gotta go see this dude. You know, like I've been waiting for this dude to come here since 2011. And I went and hung out with him and I was like, you need to go to the store. Like you need socks, shaving cream. Like, what do you need? And, and so we went to Walmart, of course, you know, love Walmart. Uh, <laughs> but he, uh, he bought two American flags, Wow! you know, and hung them from his, uh, porch on his yeah. apartment that's something that'll always stick with me wow yeah, i love you know, that uh, you know this guy has every reason to be upset about how long it took him to get here and but he's he's got every reason for, for the spot that, that he was put in and his kids were put in for a lack of due diligence on our government's uh you know behalf specifically immigration people um but he doesn't matter to him went and bought american flags hung him from you know his porch his kids are spitting you know, American history to me when I come in, yeah. you know, they're like, Travis, you know how many stars are on the uh, American flag? I'm like 50. They're like, no, 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 no. The old American flag with 13 stars, you know, the colonies, you know, I was like, yeah, Rom's putting in work with them. Yeah. I yeah. love it. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I love it. Why not? Well, thank you guys. This is, this has really been special. I really appreciate it. You're most yeah. welcome. Appreciate you having us on and, on, you know, man. being a voice for military dudes. So we, we appreciate yeah. you a lot. You're Thanks. well known in the community. So Thanks, it's a real honor. For real, me. keep doing what you're doing. I'll do my best. Yeah. Appreciate you guys. Thank All you. Right. Thank you guys. Thank you. Oh, man. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's John, Bam Bam the Dog. Uh, first, on behalf of both of us and everybody from the Real Ones team, I just want to sincerely thank you guys for, for, for tuning in. The folks that I bring on the show, they're family to me, and uh, being able to tell their stories and bringing you into their world is something I'm, I'm just super proud of and, uh, again, grateful that you guys tune in. We've decided we want to take things just a step further. It's a Patreon community. And basically what that means is if you become part of this community, look, I already bored Bam Bam. If you want to become a part of this community, you're going to be able to hear episodes early and all that, ad-free and all that good stuff. But there's all this behind-the-scenes footage, all this stuff that we've shot um, that really brings you into the folks that we've had on the show, really brings you into their world. Live chats with me and the folks that I bring on the show to talk about their world, talk about the issues that they're dealing with, about their triumphs and their tragedies. Just go to Patreon slash Real Ones on this website that you see right there, right on the screen, that's right in front of you. This whole idea was um, something about building bridges and, 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 and bringing people together and um, bringing folks that often don't get the mic and, and giving the mic to them. So the fact that you guys tune in means the world. Anyways, again, thank you. Uh, be good to each other out there. Rock and roll.